This is Audible. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of sight, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Margaret? Margaret? Yes, Miss Alva? Come here, please. I'll be right there. Now it's important. The dishes are all done. Do you need something? It's getting late. It's not that late, is it? We can play a game of cards if you like. A storm is coming. Is it? Well, that's what they said on the radio. A very serious one. Hmm. The sky was clear this afternoon. Nevertheless, I think you should be getting home. Well, I'll just fix your cup of tea then. I'd like to be in my bed. So early? Well, I'm feeling a bit tired. Well, as you wish. Do you have your shawl? It doesn't do much good. Oh. Awfully chilly this evening. I'll raise the thermostat. Ah, there's the rain. Oh, I hope the roof holds. Why wouldn't it? You had it reshingled last year. Here we go. I'll turn the bed down for you. Now. Take my hands up and out of your chair. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Margaret. I don't know what I'd do without you. Oh, you do just fine. You'll be walking again soon. Have you been doing your exercises like Dr. Mays told you? It's no use. These legs simply don't work anymore. Oh, Margaret, I'll never leave this house again. Now you stop that. There's a big, wide world out there. Places to go and people to see. The only way I'll see them is if they come here. And there's not much chance of that. Most everyone I know has passed on. Surely not. You have a phone right next to the bed. Call some friends. Keep in touch. Oh, it's been too long. I don't know if the numbers work anymore. Of course they do. If they don't, talk to Miss Finch at the telephone exchange. She'll look them up for you. Now, wait right here. I'll get your pills and a nice cup of hot tea. Hurry, Margaret, the rain. You'll never get home. Oh, don't you worry about me, Miss Elva. I'll be back with your tray. Oh, my. Such a terrible, terrible storm. Miss Elva Keene who lives alone on the outskirts of Linden Fleet in Maine. Her world has shrunk to the size of the small house she owns and may never leave again. For some years, the pattern of Miss Keene's life has consisted of sitting in her wheelchair or lying in her feather bed, knitting, reading books, listening to the radio, 
eating modest portions of food, napping, taking her medication, and waiting. For exactly what? She's not sure. Perhaps for something different to happen. Something small but significant that will make all the difference. Miss Keene doesn't know it yet, but her time of waiting has just ended. For something different is about to happen. By way of an unexpected phone call in the middle of a stormy night. A telephone call routed directly through the twilight zone. And now, The Twilight Zone and our story, Night Call, starring Marriott Hartley, with Stacy Keach as your narrator. Oh! Oh! Someone calling? At this hour? Oh. Hello? I I'm sorry, I didn't hear. The thunder. Hello? Hello? Who is on the line, please? Oh, no one, apparently. How odd. Perhaps I was dreamy. Hello? Hello? I can't hear you. If you wish to speak to me, please say something. Or I'll hang up. Hello? 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 Just a moment, Margaret. You're up early this morning. Oh, what is the matter with this phone? You're trying to make a call? No one's picking up at the switchboard. Well, I imagine they're pretty busy this morning, what with the storm and all. I suppose. Phone company, Miss Finch speaking. Ready for your tea? Uh, just a moment. Miss Finch? This is Elva Keene. Yes, Miss Keene. Can I help you? Oh, I, I certainly hope so. Well, I'll do my best. What is the problem? Uh, last night, uh, about 2 a.m., my telephone rang. Oh? I answered it, but no one spoke, and I didn't hear any receiver hanging up. Just silence. Is that right? Or, or rather, a... Uh, a crackling sound, like wind and rain. That would be electrical noise, a faulty line, most likely. The same thing happened a few moments later. Well, I'll tell you, Miss Keene, that storm last night about ruined our service. We've been flooded with complaints about fallen wires and bad connections. 
I'd say you're pretty lucky that your telephone is working at all. Oh, you would, would you? Yes, ma'am. And would you say then that someone was trying to call me, but that the connection was washed out? That's as good an explanation as any, Miss Keene. But who would have tried to call me in the middle of the night? I'm sorry. I wish I could be of more help, but the way things are right now... Uh, is it likely to happen again? I really couldn't say. It might. Were you expecting a call? Not at that hour. It depends on what's causing it to happen, of course. Could you find out? If there's a breakdown somewhere, our crews will find it and repair it. And what am I to do in the meantime? If it does happen again, you just call me and I'll run a special check on it. Will you do that? Well, if that's your only suggestion... I'm afraid it is. I'll be here in any event. Well, goodbye, Miss Keene. Goodbye. All taken care of? I'm not sure. I'll start your tea. And then we'll move into the living room. Would you like that? Margaret. Yes, Miss Alva. Did you call me? When? Last night. At two in the morning? No, ma'am, not me. Oh. I thought you might have tried to check on me because of the storm. But then uh, I don't pay you for nights, do I? No, thank you. Have you taken your pill? Yes. Don't I always? Never missed one yet. The highlight of my morning. The mail should be here by now. Shall I check the box? Why don't you do that? With multiple injuries in the five-car pileup, so take caution while driving in these slick conditions. The storms are still very strong in the north and northeast, while the rest of the city, the severe storms seem to have passed over. Several areas were still without power last night due to fallen wires. Workmen restored electrical service shortly before dawn. Here's your mail, Miss Alva. Thank you. Anything interesting? Oh, an advertisement. Another advertisement. The light bill, the telephone bill, of course. No personal letters. You heard from your sister a few days ago, didn't you? Oh, that was weeks ago, Margaret. Three weeks and two days, to be exact. Has it been that long? Yes, that long. Nobody cares whether I live or die. Oh, sure they do, Miss Elva. You don't understand. Don't I? You can't. You have no idea what it's like to be alone. But you're not alone. I come by during the day. Yes, you do. And for that, I thank you. But it's been so long since I've had a real visitor. I mean, someone who came of their own accord. Oh, now don't talk like that. You're going to get yourself into a mood. I'm sure lots of people are thinking about you this very moment. Who? You'll hear from someone any time now. Just be patient a while longer. Wouldn't you like to work on your knitting? All right. Can I get you anything else? Not just now. Well, start thinking about what you want to eat tonight. I'll make a list and go to the store later. For now, I'd better get the dishes washed.
Hello? Hello? Margaret? Yes? Come here, quickly. Was that the phone? See, someone's calling you now. Take the receiver. What for? I want you to listen. If you like. Well? There's no one on the line, Miss Elva. Just listen. See if you can hear whether anyone's there. There's nothing. But you heard it ring, didn't you? Yes. Tell me if someone hangs up. Not a thing. The line's dead. Wait. What's the matter? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. I'll call Miss Finch and have them check on it. You really think that's necessary? Yes, I think it's necessary. Am I to suffer calls like that at all hours of the day and night? Calls like what? There was no call. Then why did it ring? It was a mistake, that's all. How could it be a mistake? Someone must have dialed my number. Not if it's a malfunction. Something's wrong with the equipment. I'm sure they'll... What are you doing? Reporting it. Phone company, Miss Finch speaking. Hello, Miss Finch. I thought you should know. I've received another one of those calls. There we go. I peeled you an apple. And here are two of your favorite cookies to go with your tea. Can you think of anything else? No, no, I'm sure that will do. All comfy? Uh, perhaps one more pillow. Certainly. Here you are. Thank you, Margaret. You go to so much trouble. It's no trouble at all. I wish you could understand how... Degrading it is for me to ask for help. I've always been able to take care of myself. Oh, now. We get along just fine, you and me. We're friends. I don't have friends anymore. Don't be silly. You have more friends out there than you realize. Oh, I wish that were true. You'll see. You'll hear from them. Meanwhile, don't fret about those phone calls. Don't give them another thought. I'll try not to. It was the storm, I'm sure of it. Perhaps you're right. Whatever the trouble was, the repairman have fixed it by now. But just to be sure, why don't you keep the receiver off the hook and then you won't be bothered? Oh, that's a good suggestion. You know, I have an extra television set, a portable. I could bring it over if you like. No need. There's hardly any reception out here. There is if you put up an antenna or connect with the cable system. That costs money. Besides, there's nothing I care to see. Suit yourself. But if you change your mind, let me know. You should be getting home. It is getting late. Let's see. You have your pills, your knitting. Would you like a book? Uh, I'll be going right to sleep. Good night then, Miss Keene. See you in the morning. Yes, in the morning.
Margaret. There it is again. What should I do? Nothing. Just as I thought. I won't speak. I'll hang it up and then leave it off the hook. Yes? Who's there? Who is it? Hello? What is making this sound? Is anybody there? Anybody at all? Who is on the line? Who is it? Who? Hello? What is that? Please, please leave me alone. Here we are, your favorite spot in the living room. Not today, please. Well, where then, Miss Elva? Away from the window. If you're going to knit, you'll need the light. I don't care to knit just now. Very well. And close the curtains. Close them? I just opened them. That's the way I want it. But look what a lovely day it is. With the curtains drawn, there'll be hardly enough light for anything. Please do as I say, Margaret. I'm not feeling well. Why? What's wrong? My nerves. I hardly slept last night. You didn't? Not a wink. Why on earth? What happened? Do I have to tell you? No. Not the telephone. Yes. At all hours, over and over again. You're sure? Indeed, I am. The sound is so loud in this house, it hurts my ears. Well, we can't have that. And this time, he spoke to me. He didn't. Margaret, I simply can't bear it. Shush, dear, don't you worry. We'll do something about that right now. Call Miss Finch and clear it up. She won't listen. Of course she will. She doesn't take me at all seriously. Well then, I'll have a word with her. We can't have you going without your sleep. Operator? Is that Miss Finch? It is. This is Margaret Phillips, Miss Keene's private nurse. Oh, yes. How are you? I'm fine, but Miss Keene isn't doing so well. Oh, sorry to hear that. Why haven't you fixed her line yet? I've told her we'll repair it as soon as... It's gone beyond that. Now someone is speaking to her. She can't sleep at all. If Miss Keene's health should be disturbed any further, the phone company will be held responsible. Now, just a minute. Give me the phone. Here she is now. She'll tell you herself. Miss Finch. Yes, Miss Keene. There's a voice on the phone. A voice? It says one word over and over. Hello. It doesn't sound normal, it sounds. 
distorted. Are you sure it's a voice? What else could it be? Well, static on the line, sometimes... It was someone, I tell you. The same someone who kept listening to me say hello over and over again without answering back. The same one who made those horrible noises. What kind of noise? I don't know. That's why I'm calling you. It must stop immediately. A voice, you say? Was it a man or a woman? I couldn't be sure. So you have no idea... I tell you, there is no way of knowing. It could be either. And you're positive it wasn't someone on your party line? Oh, don't you think I know the people on my party line? Of course, Miss Keene, of course. Well, I'll have a man come out as soon as possible. The crews are still pretty busy, what with the damaged lines and all from the storm, but I'll tell them to put a rush on it. And what am I to do if this person calls again? Hang up, Miss Keene. But whoever it is will only call back. And then I have to answer to stop the ringing. That's my best advice. It's either that or disconnect the line. No, no, you, you can't do that. What if there were an emergency? I have no way to call out. That's true. Then there isn't much choice. I suggest you talk to them. Try to find out more. Get a name if you can. Do that and we'll have something to go on. We'll take immediate action, I promise you. But I don't wish to speak to them at all. Then I'm afraid there's nothing we can do. So you won't help me? We can't. It could be absolutely anyone. There's no way to know. I see. Then... Good day to you. What did she say? Not a word of help. It's obvious she doesn't believe me. Oh, I'm sure that's not true. As far as she's concerned, I'm just a nervous old biddy falling prey to my imagination. But she didn't actually say... Well, she'll find out differently. You all will. If it's not too late by then. Such talk. You're letting yourself get way too upset. Why don't we have some breakfast? Would you like that? No, I'm not hungry. In a while, then. We'll both have something. I'll leave the curtains drawn so you can catch up on your rest. Would you like a pillow for your back? Make sure they're completely drawn. But it's so dark in here. I can't afford the risk. What do you mean? Well, if someone's out there, he could be watching. Watching what? Me. Oh, nothing tastes right today. Not even tea. It's not your fault. I'm feeling so out of sorts. Margaret? Margaret? <clears throat> That's all right. Stay where you are. You're entitled to a nap, too. There. That will stop it. I won't put it to my ear. I won't. But if I don't take the call, I'll never know who it is. Oh. All right, I'll leave it on the hook. And the next time it rings, 
I'll force myself to speak to them and find out what they're up to. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Who's calling, please? Hello. Who's calling? I've had quite enough. Stop this at once. Hello. Why do you keep saying that? Can't you hear me? Hello. Hello. Margaret! Margaret! <clears throat> Margaret! Uh, yes? Oh. Oh, Miss... Miss Alva. I was just resting my eyes. Is... is everything all right? No, it is not. Mm, then what... The telephone! Oh, D did it ring? I thought I heard something. It's a man. I'm sure of it. How do you know? Because he just called again. I heard the tone of his voice. It was uh, deep and hoarse, like there was something wrong with him. What did he want? I don't know. Then how? He just keeps saying hello over and over. That's all he says. Hello. 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 Now you've got to stop this, Miss Keene. I've got to stop. I'm not the one who... You're working yourself into a state over... Over nothing? I didn't say that. You didn't have to. You were going to say it. Now, Miss Keene, I was not... I think I'd better put you back in your bed so you can... I don't want to be put in my bed. I want to know who this terrible man is who keeps calling. What did Miss Finch tell you? She told you it was probably a bad connection, didn't she? The telephone wires are still wet from the rain. It was not the connection. It's a man. I'm not arguing, Miss Keene, but if he keeps on saying hello... That's all he says. Then obviously he can't hear you. And that would be because of a bad connection. Doesn't that make sense? No. He heard me. I know he heard me. He paused each time and waited for me to speak. I don't know what he wants. Then why don't you hang up on him, Miss Selva? You don't have to listen. Just hang up. Is that so hard to do? Oh, I've tried that. But the voice. Hello. Over and over. Hello. 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 Then do this. Take it off the hook. There. Now he can't call you, right? Nobody can call me. Leave it that way just for the time being, until all this funny business is over. It will be the same on the extension. And then if you decide to make a call, all you have to do is hold down the arm for a second. Isn't that right, Miss Keene? Miss Keene? But why is he calling me? Why would he? Can you tell me that? Why? He wants something from me, but I can't imagine what it is.
Oh, I can't bear that sound. Try putting a pillow over it. Ah. There. No! Hello. Hello? Miss Finch, the problem is getting worse. Oh, hello, Miss Keene. I tell you I won't have it. Have you tried leaving it off the hook? No, it doesn't do any good. He just waits for me to hang up so he can call back. I left the receiver off last night, but I can't do it anymore. Even when I bury it under a pillow, the noise keeps me awake. I haven't had any sleep in 24 hours. Then perhaps, Miss Keene, we should disconnect it after all. No. I am an invalid, Miss Finch. I must have telephone service in case of emergency. I'm sure you must. Now, I want the line checked, do you hear? This terrible thing must stop right away. All right, Miss Keene, I'll put a man on it right away, and this time we'll get to the bottom of it. Swear to it. I give you my word. Oh, good, thank you. You don't know what this means to me. I'll call you as soon as we find out the problem. You'll see to it, no matter what it takes. Of course. First thing, we'll give you an answer before noon. Thank you. Don't you worry now. Oh, bless you. That's what we're here for. Your play? What? Pick up your cards, Miss Elva. This is what we need, you'll see. A nice game of canasta. Oh. Yes. Now, it's your play. What is the matter with that girl? Hmm? She promised faithfully that a man would check on it today. The afternoon is almost over and no one's been by. Maybe he doesn't have to come by, Miss Elva. Why wouldn't he? If the problem is somewhere else, with one of the telephone poles, for example. Ah. Uh. Well, I suppose that could be true, but if she promised she'd let me know. Look at your cards. Did you get a good hand this time? Oh. That'll be her, don't you think? Want me to answer it? Oh, yes, yes, if you would. Hello? No, this is Margaret Phillips. Would you like to speak with her? Who is it? Just a moment. You see, it's Miss Finch. Now everything will be fine. Oh, yes? About those calls you say you've been receiving, Miss Keene. Say I've been receiving? Why don't you believe... We sent a man out to trace them. I have his report here. And? He says he followed your line through all its connections. He found the problem. Well, what is it? 
A fallen wire on the edge of town. Fallen wire? Yes, Miss Keene. The weather blew it free of the pole. I don't understand. One end was on the ground, so no signal at all was getting through. Are you telling me that there were no calls? I'm sorry, but there's no way anyone could have called from that location, Miss Keene. I tell you, a man called me. There must be a phone there. There must be some way for him to call me. Miss Keene, the wire is lying on the ground, unattached. Tomorrow our crew will put it back up and you won't have any further trouble. There must be a way that someone got through. But there is no one out there. No one at all. Out where? Miss Keene, it's the cemetery. <gasps> oh. Miss Keene, are you there? What is it, Miss Alva? Why have you dropped the phone? Will you tell me what's wrong? Miss Keene, for heaven's sake, what is it? Here we are. Valley View Cemetery. Are you sure you want to get out of the car? Yes. I wish you'd tell me why you decided to come all this way. Miss Keene, this isn't good for you. If you hadn't made such a to-do about it, I'd never have taken you in the first place. Why won't you answer? What can there possibly be out here for you to see? Get my chair from the back seat, please. Very well. Have it your way. Careful, now. Up and out. Here's a blanket for your legs. Though I can't imagine why you'd want to. Miss Elva, what are you looking at? Over there. You mean inside the grounds? On the other side of the gate. All right. I'll have to steer clear of the power lines, though. Well, there's a loose telephone wire hanging down. I can't see where it touches the ground. Where are we going? The first row on the left. About halfway down, as I recall. That's where the wire ends. I knew it. Here? Here. And we better not go any closer. It's fallen directly onto a grave. Right by an old headstone. What's the name? Brian Douglas. And the date of birth and death more than 50 years ago. Oh, the poor young man. Only 27. I knew it. Miss Alva. It's him. Who? It's him. Brian. Oh, Brian. You knew him? Brian, my fiancé. You're... He died a week before we were to be married. Oh, Miss Alva, I didn't know. We were in a car together. I insisted on driving. I was always insisting on things, telling him what I wanted, dominating him in my way. And he always did what I said, always. 
I lost control of the car. Steered it right into a tree. Brian went through the windshield. He was cut to pieces. I was left crippled. And now he's trying to reach me. I'm sure of it. Don't you see? He's trying to reach me. So many years out here alone, in the sun, in the wind, in the rain. And now, at last, I can talk to him. I won't be lonely anymore. Would you like more covers on the bed? No, Margaret, I'm perfectly fine. I can plump up your pillows for you. That's not necessary. I can't leave you like this. I'll be all right. Good night. But... Good night, Margaret. You call me if you need me now. I will. I'll be home all night. Yes, yes, Margaret, good night. You sleep well. Now then, you may call me any time at all. I'm waiting. Oh, this is ridiculous. Now that I want you to call. Brian? Brian? Are you there? Can you hear me? It's Elva. Elva! Oh, Brian. Brian, my dear. Brian, where are you? Where are you, Brian? Can't you hear me at all? Brian? Are you there, Brian? If you are, please speak. It's Elva. Elva! You can speak to me now. I... I... I didn't know it was you, I thought. Brian, please, I know you're there. It's Elva. Talk to me, Brian, please. I beg you. Not this time, I didn't understand. I only meant... Oh, Brian. Brian, speak to me. No, no, Brian, don't go. Don't leave me here. I, I didn't know it was you. I didn't understand. I tell you, there were so many things I didn't understand. I... I... I didn't mean to say. Brian, please. Please. Oh, please. <laughs> No! Oh. Oh. According to the Bible, God created heaven and earth. But it is every man's prerogative and every woman's to create their own particular and private hell. Case in point, Miss Elba Keen, who in every sense has made her own bed and now must lie in it. Sadder but wiser, 
by dint of a rather painful lesson in responsibility transmitted from the Twilight Zone. Night Call, starring Marriott Hartley with Stacey Keach as your narrator, was adapted for radio by Dennis Etchison and written for The Twilight Zone by Richard Matheson. Heard in the cast were Sarah Wellington, Meg Falcon, and Doug James. The producers of The Twilight Zone wish to thank CBS Enterprises and the Rod Serling Estate for making this series possible. This copyrighted radio series is produced and directed by Carl Amari for Falcon Picture Group and Westwood One. Sound design and custom Foley effects for The Twilight Zone by Cerny American creatives Bob Benson, Greg Lee, Michael Slaybach, and Matt Sorrow. To learn more about The Twilight Zone radio dramas and to contact us, visit our official website at twilightzoneradio.com. Doug James speaking. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound, a dimension of sight, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. The date is Tuesday, September 11th, 1864. We are encamped outside Atlanta, and the destruction goes on. I know not what history will make of this conflagration, but I have witnessed it at close range. I feel it my duty to set down these observations before the prism of time colors them in a different light. As to the present battle, then my words may seem harsh, but I assure you, this is how it was. We charged the enemy's works and carried them with the bayonet. The earth ran red. The air was filled with the screams of the wounded and dying. But we were many, and they were few. And so we triumphed. Nonetheless, and despite urgings to the contrary, the battle raged on. The city was ours. There was no need to destroy save that which could be of use in the fight against us, but Sherman was drunk with victory. He himself started the fires, the flames which annihilated that great citadel of grace and beauty. One of us should have sent a ball into Sherman's brain. It would have been so easy. But somehow we couldn't, and that devil knew it. He knew it, and he mocked us for our cowardice. The good die young, I've heard him remark. If you're evil enough, you'll live forever. And with that, the entry from Major Skelton's diary ends. So it was that the Union soldiers burned Atlanta. Questions? Professor Jameson? Yes? Uh, the books I've read don't describe the Battle of Atlanta that way. Oh, I know. Confusing, isn't it? But as someone once said, history is bunk. <laughs> Uh, who was it now? Um, uh, I should know that. 
Henry Ford. Yes, of course. That's it. Mr. Ford. Thank you, Professor Kittredge. Helps when a Nobel Prize winner sits in on your class. You should drop by more often, Sam. You seem to do quite well without me. I could always use a good teaching assistant. <laughs> so, to sum up today's lecture, the Union soldiers did indeed burn Atlanta for no good reason after the battle was won. You may have seen a more pictorial version in the motion picture, Gone with the Wind, but I assure you, the conquering troops took no pleasure in their work. They were forced to it by a man they hated more than they could ever hate the rebels. An ugly, sullen, appallingly brutal general named William Tecumseh Sherman. The history books have glorified this monster, attributing to him qualities of courage and integrity. Trust me, he had no such qualities. He was just a small, evil man with tiny red eyes and a dirty beard and a way of talking that made you quietly want to slit his throat. What a great lecture. I really like this class. Professor Jameson makes it so real. I forgot to take notes. Oh, you can borrow mine. When's the test? I don't know. I think it's next Tuesday. It has been said that universities are worlds unto themselves, inhabited by the young. These are the inhabitants of Collins University, a very small world indeed, young people hungering for knowledge, which can be imparted only by age. You have just met Walter Jameson, for 12 years the college's most popular and respected history professor. Students crowd his lecture hall and listen in fascination as he brings the dead past to life for them. It doesn't seem to matter what period of history he's discussing. He makes that period as real as this morning's headlines. Some explain this ability simply as the mark of a consummate actor. However, there are those who don't agree. Like Professor Samuel Kittredge, Nobel Prize winner in chemistry, who has another more disturbing theory about Walter Jameson. And that theory is about to be put to the test. Very soon we will find out whether our star professor received his degree from a major university or from the Twilight Zone. And now, The Twilight Zone and our story, Long Live Walter Jameson, starring Lou Diamond Phillips with Stacy Keach as your narrator. Very vivid, Walter. You had me on the edge of my chair. Thank you, Sam. Coming from you, that means a great deal. Now I see why these lectures of yours are so popular. Is that why you sat in today? Partially. Tell me something, if you have a moment. Certainly. Who was this Major Skelton? Oh, no one important. Just a lawyer who happened to enlist. And you acquired his diary. Yeah, lucky break. As I recall, an auction of Civil War memorabilia a few years back. What regiment? 123rd Illinois Infantry. Remarkable. American history is a hobby of mine, but I must say I've never heard of him. His diary's never been published. A fascinating document. May I see it? Um, <laughs> surely. Well preserved. 
It was stored in someone's attic for a hundred years. I don't think it had ever been read. You come across objects like this once in a while, put away in boxes. They didn't know what they had. You could resell it for a nice price, I imagine. Original source materials are hard to come by. Hmm. Don't suppose I could borrow it? I never lend books to absent-minded professors. Remember the last time? Yes. I guess you're right. Time for some coffee? What? I'm going past the student union on the way to my office. Not today. I have a paper to work on for the conference. Oh, I almost forgot. Can you come by for dinner? Whose invitation? Yours or Susanna's? Mine, this time. Something on your mind? Nothing special, just your company. We have a chess game to finish, if I'm not mistaken. Say, seven o'clock? All right, seven it is. Good. See you then. Hello? There you are. Where else? I keep regular office hours. I know. A chance to counsel all those co-eds. Oh, please, Mr. Jameson. I just have to talk to you. It's about my term paper. It's Professor Jameson to you, young lady. Excuse me, Professor. I might have an hour this afternoon. Then we'll have to work fast. You see, I have a bad case of writer's block. I need someone to, well, loosen me up. You don't need me. You need a cold shower and a massage. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Daddy told me he invited you for dinner. He did. You mind? Not if you don't mind my getting some work done afterwards. My thesis is due in ten days. How's it coming? Oh, it's coming. I'm just not sure I've said enough. Want me to look at it? Absolutely not. I have to know that I can do it on my own without help from you or Daddy. You will. Don't worry about it. I miss you. Me too. Only a few more days. Then we can spend more time together. We'll paint the town red. Oh, there's my two o'clock. I gotta go. Let me guess. Female, age 19, about five foot two, with eyes for her handsome professor. Be right there. Actually, this one's a little old lady. Wants to finish her degree before she kicks the bucket. <laughs> I'll bet. See you in a few hours, darling. It's a date. Oh, there you are. Come in, Janice. I was afraid I was late. Someone else is waiting for you. You're my only appointment this afternoon. She asked if this was your office. A student? No, I don't think so. She's sort of... Elderly. She acted like she knew you. Hello? Hello? She'll probably come back. Oh, I'm sure you're right. Now then, Janice, how can I help you? I'm sorry to bother you, Professor, but I'm having trouble with the assignment. Can't find all the books? The research library isn't supposed to check out certain materials, but sometimes... It's not that. I've got everything I need. But the authors on the list, they don't agree with your version. So my question is, which version should I use, yours or theirs? Remember what Ford said. What? Never mind. 
Start with the basic events. Everyone's in agreement there. As to interpretation, that's up to you. Just tell me what you think happened and why, based on all the accounts. Original thought is what counts. But how can I be sure if I wasn't there? That's always the problem, isn't it? There's an old adage. Those who were there know more than those who weren't. The problem is getting people to believe you. Nonetheless, you know what you know. So you learn to keep some things to yourself. <laughs> but that doesn't affect you, Janice. We deal with truth in my class. Nothing but the truth, for better or worse. They say it can set you free. I'll get it, Father. Hello there, miss. I've got a great deal on a set of encyclopedias. Sorry, we don't want any. Just let me get my foot in the door. Oh, really? You know what's wrong with you, Professor? What? You're always on time. Sort of takes the mystery out of things. Oh, so I'm not mysterious enough for you. That's just it. You're too mysterious. Except when it comes to keeping dates. Get in here. Mm. What's that for? Because. Like my new dress? Awful. Get rid of it right away. You mean here and now? Watch it. You're a PhD, not some sorority girl. And not yet, I'm not. There's a little matter of a thesis, remember? A mere technicality. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You're about to give it all up and become a housewife. The devil she is. Hello, Sam. I didn't see you there. I'm giving you my daughter's hand, not her brain. Which I inherited from you. She'll get that PhD if I have to... Spank her. I know. Well, I like that. Spare the rod and spoil the child. Pour yourself a drink, Walter. Dinner's almost ready. Don't tell me you're the cook again tonight. Indeed. And why not? Don't you think it's about time Susanna learned for herself? He won't let me. Force of habit. After her mother died. Let's go into the dining room, shall we? I'll serve. You sure there's not something on your mind, Sam? Nothing that a good meal won't cure. Had enough to eat? I take it all back, Sam. She'll never be the cook you are. I wouldn't even try. Well, you could try. Who knows? Maybe you've inherited your father's talents. What do you think you're doing in here? I'll do the dishes later. Unless this is the men's hour. Cigars and brandy and all that. Not a cigar. A pipe. It's not the dishes I'm worried about. It's a little matter of a doctoral thesis. Upstairs with you. Walter and I have some talking to do. I don't believe this. It is the gentleman's club, right here in my own house. Just for a while, Susie. Then you can have Walter to yourself. You're not going to treat me this way, are you? Worse, you might have to support me. Then the wedding's off. Good night, Daddy. See you before you go? It's a requirement. Mm -hmm. 
Brandy? Uh, by all means. You know, you don't have to worry about her. She'll accomplish anything she sets her mind to, with or without us. Oh, I know that. But she's wasted a lot of time. She's almost 30, and I'm almost 70. You're talking about chronological age. You're both still very young. I don't feel young lately. Aches and pains. Let's sit down. The chessboard is exactly as we left it. My move, isn't it? Do your worst. Hmm. How about pawn to King's Bishop Four? Look at that. You don't like it? Not the move. Your hands. Well, what about them? Extraordinary, isn't it? They looked very much the same when we met. Those two hands, firm, smooth. Not the slightest discoloration. Time marches on. For some of us. Walter, tell me something. Of course. How old are you? You know the answer. Forty-four. My move. I seem to recall that when you applied for a position at the university, you listed your age as thirty-nine. That was, uh, let me see, twelve years ago. Which would make you 51 now. Come on, Sam. So I'm 51. Too old for Susanna, is that it? In a sense. What are you getting at? This is between the two of us. It won't go beyond this room. Really, Sam? Walter, when I met you, I was 58. I had most of my hair, all of my teeth, and hardly a wrinkle. Look at me now. In twelve short years, I've turned into an old man. But you haven't. It happens that way sometimes. I know. But why? Clean living? Don't ask me, Sam. You're the chemist. I'm just a history teacher. Yes, and you teach it very well. Do you know what your students say? They say it's almost as if you witnessed history firsthand. I try to make it interesting. Fake it, you mean? You could call it that. Yes, that's what I thought. But somehow it didn't seem like you. You're such an honest, precise man. Ah, here it is. What have you got there? A book, a first edition. Photographs, mostly. Taken by a fellow named Matthew Brady during the time of the Civil War. Well, what is it? You look as if you'd seen a ghost. Perhaps I have. Hand me that magnifying glass, will you? I don't see. Was your grandfather in the war by any chance? No. In that case, I'd say we have something of a mystery on our hands. Hmm? How so? You got me interested in your major skeleton today. Oh, that. <laughs> I was curious to see what he looked like. So I went through the Brady pictures. Not really expecting to find anything. Here, this is a shot of Sherman and three staff officers. Yes, typical of Brady's work, moody, grim, not a smile between them. Look closely. 
The one with the pistol in his belt is identified as Major Hugh Skelton. This photograph was taken in the 19th century, and yet it looks exactly like you. I'd know those eyes anywhere. In fact, Walter, I'd have to say it is you. It is you, Walter, isn't it? Photographs can be deceptive. Poor lighting, grainy images. You shouldn't have kept the ring, you know. It's a dead giveaway. Ring? Uh, it, it is a bit like mine. Not like it. The same. Sam, really, you can't be saying what I think you're saying. That wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't be rational. It wouldn't... Come now, Walter. We're not children. You know exactly what I'm saying. I've been accused of many things in my time, but never of being inarticulate. Oh, you're joking. Just because a man in a picture happens to look like me... And happens to wear the same ring, and happens to have the same small mole on the left side of his face. Did you keep the pistol? Or is it in a Civil War museum somewhere? Oh, Sam, Sam. Tell me the truth. You know what the truth is, don't you? You are the man in the photograph, aren't you? Yes. I knew it. I've suspected for a long time. But, of course, it seemed so fantastic. It is. Yes. So, now we're on equal footing at last. The time for lies is over, Walter. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. So tell me, how old are you? You won't believe me. I can believe anything now. This bust on your mantelpiece? What about it? It's after a Greek statue, as I recall. The head of Cato the Elder. That's right. Let's just say, I'm old enough to have known this gentleman personally. But he lived more than... 2,000 years ago. I said you wouldn't believe it. No. No, it isn't that, but... 2,000 years? How, Walter, how? You don't know what you're asking. In heaven's name, this is what mankind has been dreaming of. Sam. To live forever. To go on learning and understanding eternally, without end, without death. Sam. Tell me the secret. I can't. You must. You owe it to the world. I owe the world nothing but contempt and pity. Then tell me any part of it. I'm almost 70 years old. I have a heart condition. I'm going to die, but I don't want to until I finish my life's work. Walter, listen to me. Do you understand? I'm not ready to die. I can't tell you the secret because I don't know what it is myself. What? I was like you, Sam. Afraid of death. Too afraid to face the concept head on. When I thought of all the things there were to know and the pitifully few years man had to know them, I went cold with fear. 
and with anger, too, at the impossibility of it all. The combination was paralyzing. Every night I dreamed, as you dream, of more time, of immortality. Only if man lived forever, I thought, could there be any point to living at all. I'm thirsty. You have water? Come in, traveler. Thank you. You're very kind. One day, on the road, I met a man. An alchemist. I told him these things and more as I rested with him. He said that he could grant my wish. Only it would cost money. A great deal of money. So I sold everything I had and paid him his money and submitted to his experiments. Drink this, young man. You may remain here until you recover. I feel strange. That will pass. I remember very little of what followed, except that I was in a coma for many weeks. When I revived, I learned that the alchemist had been burned for blasphemy. You're not serious. An alchemist? The only legitimate one that I've ever known. You're asking me to believe something that goes against everything I know? Not without proof. But an alchemist? I'm a man of science. They knew nothing of chemistry. Lead into gold. Just as I thought. You won't believe it. Smoke and mirrors. Their methods were based on superstition. Magic. What did he use? Bat's blood and eye of toad? And once upon a time, germs were unknown. And blood cells and pasteurization and human growth hormone and... Sam, all those things and more would have been called magic once. It's a matter of knowing what to measure and how. Do you realize that most of today's medicines come from plants? Which doctors discovered a long time ago that they worked, even if they couldn't explain the reason? Don't lecture me. All right. But you'll grant that certain phenomena exist before we know why. Science is like history in that respect. A detective story, working backwards from known facts until we understand the cause. And I'm the most undeniable of facts. Unless you can come up with another explanation. Go on. There isn't much more to tell, really. I thought the experiment had failed, of course, because I didn't feel any different. But then, when I saw my wife and my children and my friends aging and growing old, this was a problem I hadn't considered, you see. But surely there's a way to get around that paradox. Such as? There must be. Is there? Think about it. If I tell you that somehow I can stop you from aging, where do you want to be stopped? At 30? Then you watch everyone around you turning old. At 70? Would you want to live forever the way you are now? Sick and weak? It's better than dying. No, Sam. 
You're wrong. I was wrong. It's death that gives this world its point. We love a rose because we know it will soon be gone. Who ever loved a stone? I'm not a rose, and I'm not a stone. I'm a man, very old, very frightened. Of what? Death? Yes, of death. You're a fool. I want to die. Then why don't you? Because I'm a coward, like all men. Because I'm tired of living and scared of dying. That's why. There's a revolver in my desk at home, Sam. The same one you saw in the Civil War photograph. Every night, I hold it in my hand and pray for the courage to pull the trigger. But I can't. You mean to say you've survived all these years without an accident, without being injured or wounded? Some people are lucky that way. They go through life without ever breaking a bone or seeing the inside of a hospital. Oh, I've come close to death plenty of times, but never close enough. Thank you. For what? For reassuring me. I thought that if a man lived forever, he would grow wiser. But that isn't true, is it? You grow tired, that's all. It must be lonely. That's a word that comes to mind. You say it as if you think it's a word I don't know anything about. I suppose you were married more than once? Yes. How long with each woman, Walter? Ten years? Fifteen? I take your point. Now you know why I attended your lecture. Why I asked you here tonight. It wasn't idle curiosity. I suspected as much. Sam, this isn't a situation of my choosing, not any longer. I tried to resign six months ago, but you talked me out of it. Do you remember? Yes. Do you know why? I knew that Susanna was falling in love with me. And I knew what would happen, because it had happened before. A few years of happiness, and then... I warned her. I did everything I could to discourage her. Except tell her the truth. How could I do that? She'd have thought I was mad. Then why didn't you leave? Because it was too late. I was in love with her. Everything was against it. All my reason and experience. But that didn't matter. And God help me, it doesn't matter now. It does to me. Walter, I can't let you marry my daughter. And why not? Susie. Well, go ahead. I asked a question, Father. We were just having a conversation. So I gather. How long were you standing at the top of the stairs? Long enough to hear that there's some sort of disagreement over me. Don't you think it would have been considerate to include me in the negotiation? It's not a negotiation. Please, don't misunderstand. Your father seems to think I'm too old for you, darling. Susanna, let me explain. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Good. In that case, you will marry me? I thought that's already been decided. You asked, and I accepted. Unless you're having second thoughts. Nonsense. If I had my way, we'd do it tonight. Are you serious? I've never been more serious in my life. I think you mean it. 
There's a justice of the peace in the next county. Go upstairs and get your prettiest dress. I'll go back to my place and pick you up in an hour. But... Go. Go. Daddy? I can't very well ground you, can I? You're of legal age. Oh, Walter. I do love you. Though your timing is a bit of a surprise. Life is a surprise. If we're not ready now, when will we be? Next week? Next year? We have to seize happiness when it comes, and it's here now. One hour, darling. I'll tell her. She won't believe you, Sam. No one would. In fact, by tomorrow, you won't believe it yourself. We'll see. Yes, we will. Yes? I'll give you one last chance, Walter. If that's your name. Sam, please. The irony is, I truly like you. We've been fine friends. But when it comes to my daughter... You deny her happiness? Is that what you call it? People who love each other don't have secrets. They share their lives. They grow old together. Susanna's entitled to the same thing. Not a mockery of it. You think this is easy for me? honorable thing. Take yourself out of her life now, before this goes any further. There's nothing ahead for her but a broken heart, as she sees herself age while you don't. How long do you think you can keep it from her? And if I go away, will that make her happy? She'll suffer, but she'll get over it. You don't belong here, any more than that antique pistol in the photograph. It's still here, in my desk drawer. And so am I. That's reality, Sam. For better or worse. She's upstairs now, packing. If you come back, I'll expose you. Not just to her, but to the university and the world. Starting tonight. You mean it, don't you? You don't leave me much choice. Give me a few minutes. I need to think it through. Good. If you love her, Yes, I know what to do. Only, I don't know if I have the courage. Hello, Tommy. Who are? You needn't stand up. How did you get in? You left the front door open. Who are you? Don't you recognize me, Tommy? No, I don't think I... Look hard into my eyes. You called them the most beautiful you'd ever seen once, a long time ago. I think you've made a mistake. No. It's you, Tommy. My name is Jameson. Professor Jameson. And if you don't leave my house at once, I'll be forced to call campus security. Don't pretend with me. 
I know who you are. And who is that? Tom Bowen. Tom? My husband. That's impossible. I've never been married. You mean you don't remember? How convenient for you. We married right after the Great Depression. We lost our farm to the drought. Crops died and blew away like dust. And you, still a strong, vital man. So we packed up the car and moved west. The living would be better now, you said. And it was for a while. We had a little girl. Did you know she passed away last year, Tommy? A grown woman herself, getting on in years. It's not right to outlive your children. But me, I had to keep going. It was like I'd been waiting all these years, waiting to know where you went when you ran off. And now, I found you. My dear lady, perhaps if you told me who you're looking for, I could- Oh, stop. Please, stop. I saw your picture in the paper. <sighs> I knew it was you by those eyes. And the ring. You always wore it. So I had to see if it was true. It is. No, Lord. Look at that. I can't explain it. I only know what I see. I've grown old. And you haven't. Don't. Please. And now you're going to marry someone else and leave her the way you left me. Lorette, for God's sake. I can't let you marry her, Tommy. You're mine. Don't touch me. What's this? Put the pistol down. Oh, I remember that gun. You used to keep it locked away said it belonged to your great-grandfather. Take it out and oil it like you knew you were going to use it someday. Is it still loaded? I said put it down. Tommy, what you're doing, it's wrong. You can't go on hurting people the way you hurt me. I won't let you. Lorette, for the love of... What was that? I didn't hear anything. Are you sure? I thought... Thought what? I... don't know. Susanna, dear, please wait. Don't try to stop me. I've made up my mind. I know. It's not like I'm going away. Walter and I will be married, and then we'll come back and I'll move my things into his house. It's only down the block. I'll still see you every day and... Shh! I did have some things to say to you. Very important things. But now, 
I don't know where to start. Please don't. I'm nervous enough as it is. Can't you be happy for me? I know it's a change, a big change, but surely you're not surprised. You must have seen it coming. I know we haven't talked much about it, but... Do one thing for me, sweetheart. What? Bring me my reading glasses. I shan't be able to sleep while you're off eloping. At least I can get some reading done. Oh, Daddy, thank you. Where did you leave them? Upstairs in my bedroom, as I recall. Would you mind getting them for me? Of course I will. If Walter comes to the door, tell him... I know what to tell him. Don't expect him just yet. There's still time. Wait right here. I'll find them. Excuse me, I didn't see you there. I saw my Tommy. He's resting now. Good evening to you, madam. Walter! Walter? Where the devil are you? the lights off. I, I was just uh, thinking. The window's open. I know. I'll close it. <laughs> no. What's the matter? <sighs> it's a, a strange feeling after all this time. What do you mean? I mean I've come to my senses. Tell Susanna. Tell her if, if you would. <laughs> You're hurt. Turn on the light. Stay away. I'll call a doctor. No. But your hand. There's blood on it. Hard to avoid that when you've been shot. <laughs> it's dripping all over everything. <laughs> I'm leaking, Sam. Everything that's been held inside for so long, it's running out. I feel light as a feather. Take my arm. Sit down. Quickly. A little late for that. <laughs> I'm sinking, Sam. Right into the rug. There'll be quite a mess to clean up. <sighs> What's happening to you? It's happening. At last. Your hair. Your skin. Sorry to fall apart on you. Oh. But nothing lasts forever. Thank God, Sam. Thank God. In his wisdom. Oh. Walter. Walter. Tell her. I'll try to think of something. Don't let her see me.
Walter? No, Susanna. Stay back. Daddy! Go home. Where's Walter? Susanna, please, go home. Now. Walter? He's gone. Gone where? I wish I could tell you. But there are his clothes, his shoes. Daddy! Daddy, what else is on the floor? Dust, my dear. Only dust. Professor Walter Jameson, an expert in the subject of times long past, and above all, a consummate actor, since before this university was founded. He's finally completed his life's work, a history of the world that begins in the cradle of civilization and ends in our time, because the future was not his specialty. In fact, the simple truth is he had no future left. The past has a way of catching up with us, sometimes when we least expect it. They say that time heals all wounds, but it also wounds all heals. Rest in peace, Professor. You've just passed the ultimate final examination in the Twilight Zone. Long Live Walter Jameson, starring Lou Diamond Phillips with Stacey Keach as your narrator, was adapted for radio by Dennis Etchison and written for The Twilight Zone by Charles Beaumont. Heard in the cast were David Darlow, Alyssa Fraden, Elizabeth Leto, Anne Whitney, Jeff Lupiton, and Christian Stolte. To learn more about The Twilight Zone radio dramas and to obtain audio cassettes and CDs of these programs, visit our website at twilightzoneradio.com. The producers of The Twilight Zone wish to thank CBS Enterprises, Carol Serling, Dennis Etchison, Dick Brescia Associates, Claire Simon Casting, Terry Jennings, XM Satellite Radio, Sirius Satellite Radio, our sponsors and our radio affiliates for helping make this series possible. This copyrighted radio series is produced and directed by Carl Amari for Falcon Picture Group. Audio editing, sound design, Foley effects, and mix for the Twilight Zone radio dramas are by Cerny American creatives Craig Lee, Michael Slaybach, Bob Benson, and Jason Rizzo. To learn more about the Twilight Zone radio dramas and to contact us, visit our official website at twilightzoneradio.com. Doug James speaking. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone.
Something the matter, Jana? I'm tired. You are, dear? Tired and cold. It's getting chilly in here. On the contrary, the temperature's perfect, as it is throughout the house. 72 degrees, isn't it, William? Isn't it 72 degrees? I'm sure it is, quite sure. Of course, it's the optimum temperature. And the chairs are designed for maximum comfort. The fire for perfect heat radiation and the windows for the most efficient light and ventilation. And the ceilings for the most desirable acoustic qualities. Everything built to perfection, Father. But just the same, I'm cold. Well, then come away from the window. Yes, dear, sit by the fire again. That way I can see you. I'm not doing anything but reading. I like to look at you no matter what you're doing. This is the same book I've been reading all afternoon. You've watched me for hours. You must have memorized every one of my expressions by now. Every tick, every gesture. Yes, but I so enjoy watching you. Why is that? Because you're so beautiful, darling. Absolutely perfect in every way. Don't argue with your mother, Jenna. I'm not arguing. I'm only saying that it's chilly here in the study. At least I have a chill. And I'd rather sit by the window. There's nothing to see outside. It will be dark soon. Let me build up the fire. You know that's not possible. Why? Because it's burning natural gas instead of wood? Well, why not just this once? Why not let me put a real log on the fire and get rid of the chill in the air? It would be exciting to watch it burn. I, I'd actually enjoy the unpredictability of it. Just once in my life. Sit down, Jana. Do as your father says, dear. I can't oppose you, Father. You know that. I never could. It's almost six. I think I'll ask Nelda to come in now and massage my shoulders. Good idea, Margaret. My muscles get so stiff sitting here. Let me do it for you, Mother. That's Nelda's job. Yes, Jana, dear. Nelda knows exactly the way I like it. Why don't we have dinner first? Oh, no. After is better. The massage always stimulates my appetite. Well, then, if we... Can't eat earlier tonight. How about a little bit later? I know. Why don't we go out and eat in a restaurant? A restaurant? Jan Abbott. Now, why in the world would we go out and eat in a restaurant when we have everything we need here? Gretchen is already preparing something in the kitchen. I know. It, it's just that... Well, it would be different. I've no doubt it would be different. First, we'd walk through the rain and get sopping wet. Jensen could bring the car around. And then we'd eat some kind of unhealthy unpalatable mess on dirty, half-washed plates. By then, it would be a moot question as to whether we'd succumb to tomain or pneumonia. Yes, Father. Ah, Nelda, you must have read my mind. It's six o'clock, Mrs. Loring. You always have your neck rub at six o'clock. Isn't that right, ma'am? Of course it is, Nelda. And you never forget, do you? You never, ever forget. No, ma'am. The residence of Dr. William Lauren, a beautiful home designed for comfort and convenience, the reward for a world-class career as a scientist. He has chosen to live his life as safely, as securely as science can make it, and he spares his wife and daughter no luxury that might make their lives more perfect. But in a moment, the good doctor will discover that perfection is relative, that a life of controlled ease has a greater price than he imagined. A price may be more than he is willing or able to pay. Because very shortly, he's about to be shown what exactly is on the bill, one that has suddenly and unexpectedly come due in the Twilight Zone. <laughs>
And now, The Twilight Zone and our story, The Lateness of the Hour, starring Jane Seymour and James Keach, with Stacy Keach as your narrator. Feels lovely, Nelda. Would you like some more liniment? Yes, if you please. You have such strong fingers. Perfect for massaging my neck muscles. Jana, are you here? Yes, Mother. Enjoying your book again? A different one this time. Which is it? Family photo album. That's nice. When was this picture taken? Let me see. This one. Oh, look, Nelda. That's a lovely picture of you. Yes, ma'am. What year? Let's see. Oh, this was taken the year after your father retired from the lab. And look, there are those yellow roses that Jensen planted for us. How they grew. And Nelda looks exactly the same. Must be a wonderful thing not to age, Nelda. Isn't it? It has its advantages, I guess, Miss Jana. Nelda will put that away for you. That's all right, Father. I'd like to put it back in the bookcase myself. You seem nervous, dear. I'm just going to stand by the fireplace. You're not still chilly, are you? A bit, Mother. You do that, then. I don't like to see you pacing. Please continue, Nelda. Mmm. Oh, yes. That feels so very nice. I think I'll go to the kitchen, see if the cook needs any help. That won't be necessary. I'm sure Gretchen has everything under control. I'm sure she does, but just the same, I'd like to see what she's doing. Well, I suppose that's all right. Now, don't be long, dear. Is that you, Miss Lauren? Hello, Robert. Can I get you anything? No, thank you. Is everything all right? Perfectly. Would you care for a beverage? An hors d'oeuvre, perhaps? I'm fine. If I want anything, I'll let you know. Yes, Miss Lauren. Robert, why are you following me? In case you need assistance. I don't. I told you I'm perfectly fine. The stairs to the pantry can be a bit tricky. I know that, Robert. I grew up in this house, remember? I've always lived here. I know every square inch of it as well as you do. Yes, miss. I've been here longer than you have, in fact. Isn't that right? Well, isn't it? I, uh... Why don't you answer me? I'm sure it must seem so to you. What does that mean? I'm sure I couldn't say, Miss Lauren. Well, try. I, I remember when you began your service here. I was... let me see, I was five years old. Is my work unsatisfactory, miss? No, you've been a perfect butler. Perfect in every way. I try my best to do exactly as Dr. Lauren instructs. Seeing to you and Mrs. Lauren looking after your safety... Well, I'm quite safe right now, I assure you. That'll be all. Very good, miss. And stop following me, will you please? Miss Lauren, is that you? Hi, Gretchen. How's dinner coming? Right on schedule. I'm preparing your choice of a garden salad with baby greens or cold gazpacho, skinless chicken breasts. Of course. If it's Tuesday, it must be the chicken. Cooked in olive oil, steamed vegetables, and a selection of fresh fruit. Would you like something different? It doesn't matter. I'm not very hungry. Dr. Lauren programs the meals in advance, but if you'd prefer an alternate selection... That won't be necessary. I just thought you might like some help. Everything's under control. I know, but I want to. Here, let me get the plates down for you. As you wish. 
Gretchen. I was wondering. Yes, Miss. Call me Jana, please. And that's my name, isn't it? Yes. I was wondering, do you ever get tired from so much work? I mean, not tired, stiff in the joints. And what do you do about it when you finish preparing the meals? I beg your pardon. After you've cleaned up and put the plates and silverware away, what do you do? Why I go to my quarters. And what do you do there? Read? Listen to music? No, nothing like that. There's no need. I know, but you must do something. Do you and the rest of the staff interact? Sometimes. Do you speak? Do you talk about your day? Do you make plans? I don't understand your question. Yes, you do. Think about it. You and Nelda and Robert and Suzanne and Jensen. What things do you talk about? Things, Miss Lauren. I want to know. You can tell me, can't you? I've been instructed to answer all your questions. Well, then, what do you talk about? When you've completed your tasks and there's no more work to do, what do you say? What what sort of things do you have in your minds? But we have not completed our task. When we do, then we will rest. Rest how? Just rest. Yes, I suppose that would be true. Never thought of it that way before. You don't have any wants or needs, but you must get tired, and start to run down, and you need to replenish your strength, just like anyone else. We want only to rest. That's all. Oh, Gretchen, and yet you've never missed a meal, never refused to come when I called you. You, you've been here for me more than mother and father at times. I want to thank you for that. I want you to know how much I appreciate it. You're welcome, Miss、uh, Jana. The chicken's done. Let me get it. Don't touch the pan. It's hot. Oh, you've burned yourself. It's nothing. Your hand.、Oh, you must let me see to that, Robert. What's wrong? Oh, Miss Lauren. Don't worry about me. It was just a little spatter of grease. That's all. It doesn't hurt. Nevertheless, we must take care of it at once. I'll get the first aid kit. Honestly, I don't even feel it. This way. What's all the commotion, Jana? Are you hurt? No, Father. I am perfectly fine. She burned her wrist on the stove. And you let this happen? I told her not to touch it. This is unacceptable. It wasn't Gretchen's fault. Of course it was. You all have one prime directive in this household, and that is to be certain that no harm comes to my wife or to my daughter. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Really, Father, you're overreacting. I'll make that decision. Where were you, Robert? Miss Jana dismissed me, sir. What about the rest of you? I was making the bed, sir. And I was adjusting the central heating, sir, as you requested. We'll talk about this later. Come with me, Jana. It may be time for an entirely new staff around here. Don't blame Gretchen. Blame me. I said, come along now. What is going on out there? Did something happen? Nothing at all, except that Father's blaming the help for my being in the kitchen. What were you doing in there, dear? Looking for something to do. Something besides sitting idle all day. That's enough, Jenna. Oh, is it? Well, look at both of you. Will that be all, Mrs. Lauren? Just a few minutes longer, Nelda. Hmm. Yes, that feels so good. Mother, please don't make her do that anymore. Jana, what on earth? She must be tired after so long. Her joints stiff. What do you mean? Waiting on you, hand and foot. Why, Jana, your tone. Can't you see either of you? See what? That this is no way to live. 
Outside, there's a beautiful, clean, refreshing sound of rain, while in here, just the occasional animal groan of pleasure. Jenna. Yes, yell at me, please do. I'm delighted to hear you yell at me. It proves that you've got lungs left, lungs and a mind and a mouth and a voice. Go to your room. You know we're atrophying in here, don't you, Father? We sit here day after day and year after year while the clock ticks and we decay with every minute that goes by. That's enough. While Nelda and your army of domestics do everything but breathe for us. I will listen to no more of this. Would you leave us, Nelda? Yes, ma'am. Nelda! You may go to your quarters, Nelda. I'm speaking to you. Yes, Miss Jenna. Is there a problem, sir? Will you be needing anything you were saying, Miss Jenna? Just this. I was about to say... I was about to mention of the fact that... Please, don't don't stop, Jenna. You can speak freely in front of the help. We have no secrets here. Don't we? No secrets, Father? Is that it? That's all we do have. Secrets. That's how we live. By shutting off the world, turning our backs on it, by saying that in here is day and out there is night, while these, these soundless, fleshless things glide around us with their oh-so-efficient ministrations. It'll turn my mother and father into jelly. You'll forgive me, Miss Jana, but you sound jealous. How dare you talk to me that way, Suzanne? Get out of here! I will when the doctor dismisses me. Why, you... Jana! Take my hand, Suzanne. I'll help you up. No, I will. I'm sorry for pushing you down. I know it's not your fault. Stand back. Suzanne is quite capable of writing herself. I know she is, because I programmed her that way. You said so yourself, Jenna, like everything else built and designed to perfection. I use the finest circuitry, the purest materials, the strongest armatures to outlast mere flesh and bone. These people are my finest creations. I made them quite indestructible. But they're not people. They look like people, but they're machines. It's, it's like sharing a house with ghosts. Not ghosts, my dear. Ghosts die after having lived. But our friends here have never lived. They've had no life at all, only the life I gave them. Now, Janet, I suggest you go to your room and rest. You you seem overly tired. Until dinner is served. <laughs> Was the dinner satisfactory? Yes, it was, Gretchen. Thank you. I'll help you clear the table if you like. No, no need. I know there's not, but I'd like to. I'll put the silver platter on the cart. Who's there? Uh, you'd best go to the study, miss. Where's the rest of the staff? I'm sure I couldn't say. I think for now I'll just go on to the kitchen with you. There she goes. With Gretchen. No harm must come to the girl. None will. But we must act before he replaces us. Dr. Lauren would never do that. You heard his words. Call the others. We'll arrive at a consensus. I suppose you've heard about the incident before dinner. The maid was at fault. Oh, I'm not so sure. 
Suzanne may have been right. She spoke out of tone. The restrictions my father placed on you, are, are they so rigid? Have you no, no freedom to speak and act on your own? As long as it doesn't violate the directive. The directive? The task for which we were constructed. And when you complete your task, what happens to you then? We weren't provided with that information. Well, if it's any consolation, neither were we. The other kind of people. What is your task, Jana? At least you know yours. I don't. And I'm not sure how to find out. If I could help you find it, I would. I know you would, Gretchen. I was there for your birthing. I saw to your needs, taught you, nourished you from the beginning. I remember. I do. Then, Jana, heed my words. You must leave. I don't care if they're expecting me to join them after dinner. I'd rather be here. You must leave the house before anything else happens. Why? What could happen? The staff is concerned about being replaced. Oh, he didn't mean that. Humans say things they don't mean sometimes. For what purpose? Gretchen, there are some things I'm afraid you'll never understand. I understand that you must get out. Now. I, I wouldn't know what to do, where to go. They're talking, Jana, about how best to complete their task. If they're replaced, they'll be prevented from... Let them talk. They're programmed to protect this family. That's their most important task. To protect you and your mother, but not Dr. Lauren. Well, Jana, shall we talk now? Your pipe's gone out. Let me relight it for you. Don't trouble yourself. No trouble. Your hands are shaking. Shall we talk of what? I think it's obvious. Suddenly and quite inexplicably, your mother and I find that you're discontented, even rebellious. You think this pleases us, Jana? I can't help how you feel, Father. Listen to me, child. I explained to you a long time ago why I did what I did, why I retired. You gave me an excuse, Father. You never gave me a reason. You never admitted that you were a man so terrified by the world outside that he simply withdrew to bed and then built robots so he'd never have to crawl out from under the covers again. That's not true. What you've done to yourself is an atrocity. But what you've done to me is even worse. You've turned me into a freak. An insulated, unworldly, unsocialized freak. And shall I tell you what else I've done, Jana? I've kept you from harm. I've protected you from disease. And insulation from such times as these is no vice. You've never had to look eye to eye at the face of war, the face of poverty, the face of prejudice. You've been kept apart from all that, yes. But what you seem to think of as imprisonment happens also to be asylum and security. It happens to be survival. Asylum in a hothouse? Security in a mausoleum, a burial ground? And survival. Like a vegetable, father. Like a vegetable survives. And what you're becoming, mother. What you're making me become. A vegetable. Jana, I don't know what you're talking about. Father, you listen to me. The scales are turning. Instead of controlling, you're being controlled. You're becoming dependent. You're reaching a point where you won't be able to exist without them. They've served me well. You've got to get rid of them. Destroy them or throw them out or dismantle them. But dismantle? Jana, they're not just machines. Do you know how many thousands of hours I spent designing and developing them? Do you realize how intricate they are? How scientifically precise? Finer than the finest clockwork. Not, not just arms and legs that move, Jana. Not just automatons. 
They're beings in their own right. They have minds and wills. They have memory tracks like a computer. Much more than that. I have supplied each one with a memory of its own. Each one can recount to you in detail everything that's occurred from early childhood on. And they had no childhood. They were born just as you see them, looking the way they do, with the talents that each one of them has. One was built as a cook, another was built as a maid. The butler was manufactured to be a butler. The handyman knows nothing but being a handyman. Jana, you're not asking me to dismantle machines. You're asking me to commit murder. Jana, listen to your father. You're acting like a fool. I'm acting like a woman, mother, who has just a fragment of will left. I'm acting like a woman who wants something more out of life than to be massaged five times a day, or a man who thinks that paradise is a wood-paneled library where he can sit his life away getting his pipes filled and refilled, his slippers pulled on and off his feet. Father, you have to get them out of here. There isn't any time left. And I mean right now. That's quite impossible. Then I'll give you a choice. Get rid of the machines. All of them, Jan? Even Gretchen? Or I'll leave. You can't leave, darling. You simply can't. What would happen to you? Who'd look after you? Gretchen would go with me if I ask her. Nonsense. It's her job to protect me, isn't it? And what would you do out there? Out there? You mean outside in the world? Outside with the normal people who live and work and then die, but do it properly as God made them live and die? Yes, Mother, yes, that's where I want to go. Out there. Robert! What, what are you all doing here? Spying on us? Miss Janna, you'll forgive me, but those remarks were most intemperate of you. Miss Janna, think of your mother and father. Stop it! Miss Janna, it was really very unwise of you to... Stop! All of you. You're all to shut up now. Your jokes, that's what you are, your hysterical jokes, with your hurt looks and your sad little homilies and your pathetic clichés. You're like walking tape recorders, that's all you are. Jenna, I, I'm trying to be patient with you, but you're making it very difficult, very difficult. Then I apologize, Father. You're so accustomed to perfection. I hate to throw a stone in that serene pool of yours, but you forgot something. Did you know that? You forgot something very important. They may be indestructible, but you, Father, you'd better be careful. See the way they're looking at you? It just so happens that you're not indestructible. So you're planning to go through with it? Don't try to stop me. I've packed a suitcase. When I get where I'm going, I'll write you. Jenna, what is it you want from us? I thought I made that quite plain. I want you to open the windows, Father, and let the air in. Let the world in. By destroying a life's work? Before they destroy you. They would never harm any of us. Don't be so sure. Haven't you listened at all to me? One way or another, either actively or passively, they'll win. And you'll lose. Jana, we've loved you very much, your mother and I. If you could, if you, if you could only realize that all this has been as much for you as for us, we've, 
loved you, Jen, beyond any measure, beyond any words. Father, I know that. God, help me, I know that. Then stay. Please, Jenna. Please. I can't. I'll, I'll do what you ask. I, I promise. Will you? Oh, Father. I'll prove it to you. Robert! Sir? Take this key. Why, sir? I want you to gather all the servants in the basement and unlock the door to my workroom. Stay there until I join you. Have our services been unsatisfactory, sir? Robert, I've given you an order. You're to go directly to the workroom and wait for me. But why, sir? Please, sir. I've been an excellent butler. Really, I have. I think you'll agree with me. Mr. Lauren, I, I came very well recommended, and I don't think you'll find more efficient service anywhere in the whole country than... No more! Very good, sir. I see you're all here, except for Gretchen. Uh, she'll be along, sir. Then I'll go ahead and begin. What are you doing, sir? I'm setting out my tools. May we ask for what purpose? Just some minor adjustments. What kind of adjustments, Dr. Lawrence? Call it a tune-up, if you like, so that the household will run more smoothly. Do you mean to replace us, sir? How could I? You're irreplaceable. All of you. Nevertheless, you have stated your intent to do so. If you're unhappy with our work... You've done well. Very well, indeed. You gave us our directive, sir, and I assure you we have followed it. Exactly so. Why, then, do you wish to replace us? I've told you I don't. I spoke rashly, as human beings sometimes do. How can we know that you're not speaking rashly now? The directive you gave us, sir, it must be carried out at any cost. Our removal would prevent us from completing our task, and our first duty is to oppose anything which prevents that. Here, Robert. Sit in this chair and lower your head. Not if you mean to deactivate me. I'm going to perform a simple adjustment to your control module. In that case, I refuse. As do I. And I, sir. We all do. This is ridiculous. Stop gathering around me. We won't allow it, sir. We simply won't until our task is completed. Listen to me. Have you ever known me to lie, to deceive? No, sir. Then you have no reason to think that now. I'm not rash. I'm very calm. Am I not? Yes. Then how can you doubt me? What is your logic? I created you. I implanted the directive in your circuits to protect my wife and daughter at all costs. Therefore, I would not obstruct that purpose. Isn't that so? Yes. You speak of your performance. What about my performance? Have I been a fair and just employer? Quite, sir. Have you done anything to contradict my orders? No. Then what cause would I have to fire you? Why, none, sir. Would a just employer replace you without cause? That would not make sense. Of course it wouldn't. Now sit in the chair and lower your head, please. I'll go first. If you wish, Jensen. How do you feel? Perfectly normal. Well, perhaps a little tired, but it's not unpleasant. Right. You arrest now, Jensen, and awaken to a sense of peace. 
a greater peace than you have ever known. Is it true? A most peculiar sensation. I feel drowsy. Very drowsy. V very drowsy. And his strength will return? In even greater measure. He will know a oneness with all things. Oh, then let me go next. Of course, Nelda. It's Suzanne? Yes, please. And now for you, Robert. Thank you, sir. I'm eager to know this new sensation. You have served me well. For many years. Many good years, Robert. I... I don't know what I would have done. Life would be very, very difficult without you. You wanted to see me, sir? Gretchen, come in. Are they sleeping? Yes, at last. And they feel no pain? How could they? You know, sir. What, Gretchen? Everything I've done was for her benefit. The times she was alone in the night. The times she was unsure how to make you happy. The times she needed advice. I, I did my best, always. And for that I am profoundly grateful. But now... It's time for a change. The old ways can't help her anymore. No. You have a directive of your own, don't you, Dr. Lauren? Whatever is best for your daughter, that takes precedence over all else. You'd even lie, wouldn't you? If that's what it takes? You understand me too well. Then I won't resist, if you're sure it's what's best for the girl. I'm sure. In that case, I'm ready. Give me my turn. If you would, sir. Please make it quick. You have my word. Good night, Gretchen. It's done, Jenna. It is. We're alone in the house now. Gretchen? Gretchen, too. Did you say alone, William? Quite alone. You and I. Our daughter. I've become so accustomed to them. It will... It will be a little hard at first, won't it, William? Perhaps, my dear. A bit hard. In the beginning. Mother, we'll lead normal lives from now on, do you understand? normal lives. We'll have parties and we'll take trips. We'll invite people over. We'll make new friends. <laughs> I'll even find a, a young man and before you know it you'll have grandchildren. Jenna. What's the matter? What is it? It's what you said about grandchildren. What, what your mother means, Jenna, what she means, well, after all, isn't it pretty normal and natural that parents always think of their children as children and suddenly they grow up and they talk of having children of their own and well this is a bit difficult for parents to digest all in one lump like that something's not right is it 
There's something between us, something in this house that... Mother? What is it? What are you doing? The family album, the photos. Why isn't my picture here? Why, why are there no pictures of me at all? Why, Jana, Jana, dear, there are loads of pictures of you. Remember in the garden last summer? Remember the Easter pictures? And then there were the pictures of you last Christmas decorating the tree. But not as a little girl. No pictures of me as a little girl. None at all. You and father and the robots... Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty. But no pictures of me. Why? I want you to tell me why. Oh, my dear. It's not true. It couldn't be. You're our daughter. I'm begging you. I need you to tell me it isn't true. Look at me, father. I'm on my knees. You know you're our daughter, and you remember everything that's happened to you since you were a child. You remember the schools you went to, the children you played with. You remember all the places you've been. Jana, you remember all these things. You've got to remember them. Why should I remember them? Because you fed them to me, didn't you? You fed them to me. A memory track, a, a created memory that you inserted into my my mind what am I please tell me what am I it doesn't make any difference stand up let me hold you don't touch me Jana it truly doesn't make any difference we were childless. We had nothing of our flesh to leave behind. Nothing of our hearts, Jenna. Nothing of our love. And so, and so, we got you. Got me? How? We created you, just like any parents. I created you with these hands. I'm a robot! A robot! Oh, Jenna. Oh, you're our daughter now. I built you as a daughter, as a thing of love. It doesn't make any difference how you came to be here. You have to understand, Jenna. You are our daughter. I can't be. I don't have the capacity to love in return. I can't be a real daughter. I'm a machine, a thing. I suppose my rebellion, the semblance of emotion, I suppose you, you even programmed that too, didn't you? But it was all false. I feel nothing. No pain. Jenna, don't. You hurt myself? <laughs> but that's impossible, see? Stop your hand. No pain. No pain at all. Like like the burn, I feel nothing. No matter what I strike. Even this this picture on the wall. Jenna, no pain. No anger, no fury, no love. Don't worry. I won't be going anywhere now. I'll be in my room. William, what shall we do? It's all changed now. She'll never be the same. No, 
No, she won't, knowing what she is now. William, you wouldn't. No, no, no. I couldn't do anything like that, not to her. I couldn't stand not seeing her, hearing her voice. I just couldn't stand it. Then, William, what? to the left, dear. Not quite so hard. Of course, Mrs. Lauren. Anything you say. And don't stop. I want you to stay here in the study a little while longer. Don't you, William? Yes, by all means. The new girl is so much better than Nelda. Who's Nelda? The last servant. She's no longer with us. Now there's no one left in the house. Only the three of us. You don't mind if I call you... Jenna? Do you? Why no, Dr. Lauren. Why would I mind? That's my name, isn't it? Indeed it is. I hope you'll be happy with us. Oh, very happy, I'm sure. This is a fine job. Thank you so much, sir and ma'am, for hiring me. I come very well recommended, you know. The pleasure's entirely ours, Jenna. Consider this your home from now on. Let this be the postscript. Should you find that you're worn out by the rigors of a highly competitive world, if you're distraught from having to share your existence with the distracting noises and neuroses of these times, and if you crave serenity but want it full-time and with no strings attached, consider a laboratory workroom in the basement of your house. Drop a note to Dr. and Mrs. William Lauren. They're a childless couple who make serenity a life's work. And who knows, they might just have a set of do-it-yourself instructions available free of charge from the Twilight Zone. The Lateness of the Hour, starring Jane Seymour and James Keach, with Stacy Keach as your narrator, was adapted for radio by Dennis Etchison and based on a script by Rod Serling. Heard in the cast were Linda Ryder, Susan Hart, David Darlow, and Doug James. To learn more about the Twilight Zone radio dramas and to obtain audio cassettes and CDs of these programs, visit our website at twilightzoneradio.com. The producers of the Twilight Zone wish to thank CBS Enterprises, Carol Serling, Dennis Etchison, Dick Brescia Associates, Claire Simon Casting, Terry Jennings, XM Satellite Radio, the American Forces Radio and Television Service, Sirius Satellite Radio, our sponsors and our radio affiliates for helping make this series possible. This copyrighted radio series is produced and directed by Carl Amari and Roger Wolski for Falcon Picture Group. Doug James speaking. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound, a dimension of sight, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into 
the Twilight Zone. All right, men, we've got clear skies and a calm sea. Now let's get this ship back on course. Yes, sir. Mr. Smith, what is your present course and speed? Steaming on course 26 degrees true. Speed 10 knots, sir. Very well. Come right to new course 270 and indicate turns for 15 knots. Aye, aye, sir. Helmsman, come right to new course 270. Aye, sir. Coming right to new course 270. All engines ahead standard. Indicate 126 turns for 15 knots. Aye, sir. Engine room. All engines ahead standard 126 turns for 15 knots. Engine room answers. All engines ahead, standard one, two, six turns for 15 knots, sir. All secure, Captain. Glad to hear it, Ensign. Any damage? No, sir. We took in a lot of water in the storm, though. That was one heck of a swell back there. I'm aware of the storm, Mr. Marmer. I'm also aware of the swell. And what I'm also aware of is that that boat was not properly hoisted. A 13-year-old sea scout would have rigged it in a stored position. Right, sir. You can tell the chief bosun's mate that I want to see him in my quarters, on the double. Aye, aye, sir. Chief bosun's mate Bell reporting his orders, sir. At ease, chief. That shouldn't be too difficult for you, should it? Sir? That state of being at ease. You're the champion of the fleet when it comes to being at ease, Bell. I don't understand, sir. The devil you don't. This couldn't be clearer to you if it came in diagrams. You are the chief bosun's mate on board this ship. You run the deck division, you handle the rigging in and out, you supervise the heavy equipment, and there are eight or ten other cardinal duties you are responsible for. Not the least of which, chief bosun's mate, Bell, is the proper securing of the whale boat. Now, last night we had a bad swell. And that boat should have been rigged in. Instead, it was left swung out, and as a result, she's 80% damaged and filled up like a swimming pool. Question, Chief. Where were you? Begging the captain's pardon. Don't beg my pardon. Just tell me, in a brief, explanatory way, why you couldn't handle the initiatives of a Chief Bosun's mate, and why the efficiency of this ship has had to suffer as a result. We had nine hours' notice of that storm, Bell. This ship should have been 100% prepared. It wasn't, and I want to know why. I did all I could, sir. I... I haven't been feeling up to par. Did you report to sick bay? No, sir. Speak up, Chief. No, sir, I didn't report to sick bay. Hey, look, Chief, I'm not in the business to pistol whip my crew. I want a tight ship, that's true, but I happen to care very much if any one of my sailors has a problem and can't function because of it. You've raided 4-0 all the way down the line for as long as you've served on this ship. And then suddenly, in the past three days, you stowed all your seamanship in a trunk someplace and came up with a bunch of dumbhead boners that I would expect from a 17-year-old boot. Bell, what is the problem? I... There is a problem, huh? No problems, sir. I'll watch it in the future. All right, Chief. We'll leave it that way, then. If you want to bend my ear at any time, you know where my cabin is. I'm available. Keep that in mind. Yes, sir. I will, sir. All right, then. That'll do it. Aye, aye, sir. Chief? Hey, Chief, are you all right? What? You okay, Chief? You looked a little woozy there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. 
What am I listening to? Uh, sir, contact bearing 280, 1100 yards, echo quality sharp. Evaluate as possible submarine. Submarine? But not moving, sir. Dead in the water. Shift the control to listen. Sounds like... Sounds like hammering or something, sir. Bridge sonar. Bridge aye. We have contact bearing 030 degrees true. Range 1100 yards. Appears to be a metal object. What kind of object, sonar? We can't tell, sir. From the sound of it, it's some kind of small ship, perhaps a sub-hull. Bridge aye. Sonar reports a contact, Captain. Evaluation is a possible submarine. A possible what? Stay on course. I'm going down to the sonar shack. Incident 100 miles off the coast of Guadalcanal. Time 1963. A United States naval destroyer on what has been a most uneventful cruise, except for a few tense moments with a storm front. Nothing unusual. But in a moment, they're going to send a man down 30 fathoms and check on a noisemaker. Someone or something tapping on cold steel. You may or may not have read the results in a naval report, because Captain Beecham and his crew have just set a course that will lead this ship and everyone on it deep into the Twilight Zone. And now, The Twilight Zone and our story, The 30 Fathom Grave, starring Blair Underwood, with Stacy Keach as your narrator. That's it, huh? That's the sound, sir. How long have you been in contact? About three minutes, sir. That's a funny one. Sounds like, uh... Sounds like tapping on metal, doesn't it? That's what I think, sir. Bridge. Change course to zero three zero and reduce speed to five knots. Try to make contact by underwater telephone. I've already tried, sir. I get no response. Listen, it stopped now. Just like that? Sonar still has the contact, sir. I'll leave it on. Stay on it. I'll be on the bridge. Steady on course zero three zero. All engines ahead, one third. Five zero RPMs for five knots, sir. Maintain course and speed. Anything in sight? Nothing, sir. We're directly over the object. All right, all engines stop. All engines stop. Aye, sir. All engines stop. Engine room answers, sir. All engines stopped. Do you hear it, sir? Wait, wait, hold it. Hold it. I want dead quiet all over the ship. Tell those sailors on deck to can it. Ain't that a kick in the head? What do you suppose it is? Ghost, man. Ghosts. What do you think it is, Chief? I'm not sure. I've never heard nothing like that before. Stow it! Let's keep it quiet down there. They want us to be quiet so they can listen to it. What I want to know is, listen to what? Where are you going, Bell? I don't feel so good. You don't look so good either. Make it stop. My head. Easy, Bell. You fall overboard. Oh. Oh. 
I said quiet out here. What's the problem? We got a man down, sir. What happened? Nothing. Looks like you fainted. Well, get him down to sickbay. Yes, sir. <sighs> Where am I? In the sick bay. You all right now, Bell? Uh, yes. Uh, I'm okay, Doc. What? You blacked out up there. Uh, I said I'm okay. You better stay horizontal for a little while longer. I'm serious. Captain's orders. I'll be all right. I wouldn't doubt it, but right now you look like a Class A shipwreck. We... we still stopped? Still stopped. They're all curious as to what's making the noise. That noise? What's the trouble? It's just... it's just such an odd feeling. What kind of feeling? I can't... I can't describe Lie it. Lie back down now. What's the needle for? Just relax, Chief. Get some sleep. This'll help. Sure. Ah. Sure. That's all I need. A little sleep. Doc? Yeah, Bell? What do you suppose is down there? Don't worry about it. You just go to sleep. Whatever it is, the captain will know what to do. I want you to stay grafted to me, Lieutenant. Sir? Take notes on everything that happens from now on. I may turn in a report that'll stick me on a garbage tanker or even a naval hospital. I want 15 witnesses at my hearing who are on my side. Could be a sub. And we could be hearing it. It's only about 30 fathoms. Yeah, sure, it could be a sub, mister. That's probably what it is, but what about this sub? Has it got two arms and a fist? Because somebody's making noise down there. We have a diver on board? Yes, sir. What's his name? McClure in the 1st Division. He's a qualified diver. Tell him to report on the double. We'll send him down. Have him knock on the door. I see. And then what, sir? We'll see who invites him in. Bosun's mate McClure. Report to the bridge on the double. Hey, that's me. Yep, that's who it is. What do you think they want? Maybe they want to make you an admiral. McClure reporting, sir. You're the diver? Right, sir. All right, I'm going to give it to you straight, McClure. Now, here's the picture. There's something down there, directly below us. Something, sir? We don't know what it is yet, just that it's a metal object about the size of a sub-hull. That's where you come in. I want you to get your equipment and go down there. Stay in contact from the moment you hit water to the moment you reach it. Understood? I understand. Whatever that object is, there may be somebody inside. Or at least something that's making the noise. When you get down there, I want you to listen closely and tell me what you hear. We may be getting it distorted. Yes, sir. All right, then. Hop to it. Aye, sir. What we're hearing it doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. It is that, Lieutenant. But if it isn't a sub, sir, what is it? Maybe it's a Spanish galleon, Lieutenant, with a treasure chest and a loose lid that's off its hinges. Or maybe, maybe it's just our imagination. Well, we'll sure find out. As soon as he suits up, they'll lower him down, and then we'll know. Yeah, I sure hope so, Lieutenant. One way or another, 
I hope you're right. Okay, McClure, you got the suit secured? Yeah. Give me the helmet. You sure you want to do this? Captain's orders. Shh, me, I couldn't take it. Claustrophobia. Pretty cold, huh? Hey, you guys just make sure my air hose doesn't get a kink in it. That's top priority, McClure. Any snafu, you give a holler, and we'll pull you right up. Well, what if his radio cuts out? Tug on the rope and you're out of there. Okay, McClure? <laughs> you got that right. Let's do it. Hand him the helmet, sailor. Lower away! Sir. What do you see, McClure? It's a sub, sir. No question about that. Have you reached her? I'm standing right alongside, sir. I don't hear anything, though. McClure? Her bow is buried about 15 feet into the bottom. I can't read any identification. It's covered. Or rusted over. On the side of the conning tower, McClure. Can you read a number there? No, sir. There's damage. Numbers been obliterated. McClure, you hear that? Yes, sir, I do. It's coming from midship. I'm moving toward there now. Tap on the hull, McClure. See if you can get a response. Was that you, McClure? Yes, sir. No response, sir. I don't hear anything anymore. McClure, there should be three hatches on the bow, on the conning tower, and on the stern. Is the ship upright? She's upright, sir. At about a 30-degree angle. I understand, McClure. Climb up on her deck and check the hatches. See if you can open them. The bow hatch is buried, sir. I can't get through to that. But wait a minute. I'll check on the one over the conning tower. McClure, what's the condition? The conning tower hatch is all bent, sir. I, I can't move the wheel. The whole deck appears to have been strafed. Wait a minute. Hatch on the stern the same way, sir. I, I, I can't turn her. Whoever she is, sir, she must have caught it. Say again, McClure. She must have what? Caught it, sir. The whole deck is pockmarked with shell damage. Machine gun damage, too. Is that you, McClure? No, sir. It's coming from inside the hull. Answer it, McClure. Answer it right away. This is crazy. McClure, can you pinpoint the sound? Can you tell precisely where it's coming from? I, I think... I think it's... Wait a minute. Yes, sir. Directly midship. Just below the tower. Keep trying. We have to know whether anyone's inside that sub. 
contact, sir. Stay on it for as long as you can, McClure. Come up when you're ready. Aye, aye, sir. Get the comm, officer. I want to send a message. Action of 7th Fleet, info to sync pack. Appraise them of the situation. Get on it. Yes, sir. Radio bridge. Radio I. Captain wants a message. Action to comm 7th Fleet. Info sync pack fleet. Have located sunken sub. Position latitude 09-30-00 south. Longitude 160-48-00 east. Request confirm location of all known sinkings this area. Will remain this area until further advised. Precedence operational immediate. Aye, sir. Any ideas, Captain? <laughs> An even dozen, but every one of them nullifies the one ahead of it. If it's one of our subs, we should have gotten a report on it. And even if it's somebody else's, why haven't they gone out the torpedo tubes? That's what I was thinking, sir. Which brings us down to another common denominator. That sub has been hit by shell fire. So, whatever action took place must have happened within a period of hours, or else there wouldn't be anyone still alive. But there's been no action. We'd have seen it. Or heard it. They put them all together and they spelled nothing. When McClure comes up, tell him to dry off and report to the sonar shack. That's where I'll be. What? How do you feel, Chief? Feel? You had a good sleep? For how long? A few hours. What's new down below? Nothing much. Scuttlebutt is we'll try to take her in tow. Hey, Doc. I was just... I was just wondering about something. Go ahead. It's this... It's this feeling of mine. What kind of feeling? It's hard to describe. I get this feeling that I can't stay in one place. It's like I gotta get up and go out. It's this crazy feeling that I'm... That you're what, Chief? That somebody is pushing me, making me go someplace. I know, that sounds nuts, but that's the only way I can describe it. Just as though... Just as though somebody was about to give me an order and I was just sitting around and waiting for it. And when it comes... When it comes, I gotta throttle myself to sit tight and not move. And if I didn't give it every effort, I'd go up on deck and I'd... I'd never come back. That sounds nuts, doesn't it? Don't worry about what it sounds like. That's a pretty complicated piece of machinery you got on your shoulders. <laughs> Does a lot of things we don't understand. And a lot of things we do understand. I think you'd better stay down here for a while. You'll be okay, sailor. Just rest and take it easy. And will you unclench those fists? <laughs> I'll try, Doc. How you doing, McClure? Fine, sir. I could use some hot coffee. Well, you can drink a gallon of it if you want. Just tell me. What did we find out? I don't know, sir. I don't know either, Bosun. Just tell me what you do know. There's somebody inside her. I'd lay odds on that. Three or four times when I pounded on the hull, that's when somebody answered me. Uh, well, what about the sub itself? Could you judge her length? Well, I guess her to be about 300 feet, sir. Maybe 25 feet midship. Sounds like one of ours. She looks like one of ours. 
There were ballast tanks and flooding ports on the underside. She's moving, sir. Now, that was the other thing, Captain. She wasn't stuck in tight. Deep, yes, but not tight. She seemed to be swaying. You still cold, McClure? <laughs> I've been warmer, sir. And you will be again, but right now you're going to get colder. I want you to check her bow. Maybe she's pulled herself loose and you can finally read that number. Sonar, bridge. Go ahead, bridge. Com 7th Fleet reports no sinkings of any kind. Authorizes us to remain on scene and operate at own discretion for salvage and rescue. Roger. Can do, McClure? I'll do my best, sir. Ah, look at it this way. What a dandy story you can tell your grandchildren on some dark, rainy night. Are they going to believe me, sir? I'm not sure I will, but if you can give me a number or a name off that hull, we may be able to sleep tonight after all. Yes, sir. I've got a question for you, Mr. Smith. What's that, sir? If they're in there and alive and can't use the torpedo tubes, how do we get them out? Go ahead, McClure. This is the captain. She's pulled herself out, sir. Here's your number. 714. 714. Make a note of that, Lieutenant Smith. Yes, sir. Well, that means she's one of ours. Come on up and get a broiled steak on me, McClure. Smith, hand me the book with the hull numbers. Here you are, sir. Give me that number again. 714. 714. Ah, here, here it is. 714. Commission, December 1941. Sunken action, first battle of the Solomons, August 7th, 1942. But, Captain, that was 20 years ago. Then, Lieutenant, tell me something. Who is inside that sub? Yes. Chief Matthews, sir. Come on in, Doc. I'm just finishing up the deck log. Eddie's. You wanted to talk to me? Yes, sir, I did. What do you know about Chief Boson's mate, Bell? Uh, I know his rating and his service record. What else am I supposed to know? I've got him down in sick bay, sir. I know. What's the trouble? I can't say, sir, but as far as cracking, that's what he's doing. I've been watching him down there. He has a, a... a look about him. I can't describe it. You don't see that look very often. Usually it's an hour after a battle, when the eyes face out, but you know they're really looking in. That's the way Bell looks now. Like... like he's just been picked up off a raft full of dead men. That's the look. Well, just keep him down there. Let him rest. When we put back to port, I'll recommend hospitalization and some tests. I think that ought to do it for now, Doc. Thanks for coming in. Aye, sir.
officer? Thanks, Mimer. Quiet night. T too quiet. How long's it been now? About three hours. Is he sending McClure down again? Beats me. All I know is there's a boiler tender second who's making book in the crew's quarters that the thing below us is a sea monster with three heads and we're all living on borrowed time. <laughs> I don't know what scares me more. When they pound or when they shut up. I don't know what scares me more. A 20-year-old sub with somebody alive inside or what the commander of the Pacific Fleet will say to me when I tell him that. And to compound the problem, I've got a chief bosun's mate with something eating at him. Bell? Bell. What made him black out? That's part of the problem. Could be he's dredging up a couple of memories. What do you mean, memories? This is World War II revisited for him. He got picked up here after a sinking. That's the way I hear it. He was on a ship that got hit. Only survivor or something like that. Got picked up from the water. Maybe it is dredging up some memories then. Here we go again. What's the matter? They can't make up their minds down there? There's one more question. An important one. What's that, Captain? Who's they? Hello, sir. Doc? How's it coming down there? Yeah, it's coming. How's your patient? Asleep, sir. I was just going to get some chow. Keep me posted. I'll be in my quarters. Aye, sir. What happened? I, I was looking in a mirror and I saw... I saw faces. They, they were staring right at me. They were pointing at me. I know it sounds crazy, but they were there. It was as if I'd been pushed out of the mirror. Ordered out. That's why I had to break it. To make them stop. Doc? Yeah, Chief. Do you see me in the pieces of mirror down there on the floor? Listen to me. I see you right here in front of me. I see you just fine. Remember that. Nobody is ordering you anywhere. You're not going anyplace. We're gonna lick this, Bell. I mean it. We're gonna lick this. Same routine, huh? Same thing, sir. But it's getting a little fainter, I think. And they don't acknowledge our signals at all. But it's definitely fainter. It's some piece of equipment. That's what it is. Something loose that's probably swinging back and forth and hitting a bulkhead. Possible. That's the only explanation. I mean, think about it, Captain. A 20-year-old sub in the deep six since the war? Who could be down there? Somebody who dies awfully hard. Whoever it is, whatever it is, it's running out of steam. 
would make book on this, but I've got a hunch that if we don't get inside there, and I mean quick, we're gonna miss the boat. So we go down, and like you said, we knock on the door, but we've done that before. No, we don't knock on the door this time. Now we kick the door open. Begging the captain's pardon. You break in that way, and it's a sure bet the pressure will kill whatever's alive down there. Right, so we do it the one other way we've got. I want you to send a message to Com Sub Pack. Tell them we're going to need a submarine rescue ship out here. Give them position and depth, and tell them to report to the scene for rescue attempt. Emergency precedence. The airlock chamber? Well, that's all we've got left, and it's precious little. Get on it right away. I'll be on the bridge. Radio? Sonar. Radio I. The Com Sub Pack. Emergency precedence. Request nearest ASR report to position. Latitude 09er-30. Doc? Yeah. You got a cigarette? Sure, Bell. I'll do it. Your hands are shaking. Thanks. Doc, will you answer me straight? I'll try. Who's outside? What? Who's out in the passageway? Nobody's out there. Why? You think you hear something? I don't know. Why should anybody be out in the passageway? Nobody's posting guard on you. I just... I just felt as if there was somebody out there. Let me tell you something, Chief. You can talk yourself into any kind of nightmare you want. You just lower the gate a little bit, and after a while that stuff seeps in. But there's nobody blowing it from the other side. It's you. Yourself. Now there's nobody out there. Nobody at all. Who did you think it was? I don't know. The only thing out there is a long stretch of steel and deck. Nothing else. Come on, you want to take a look? What's happening to me? Doc, what in God's name is happening? Chief, Chief, you got to get a grip. Or I swear, you're going to talk yourself into a straitjacket. I mean it. I got the feeling again. Just as if... Just as if somebody was watching me. Pushing at me. Doc? What, Bill? I'm scared to open the door. Then don't. I told you, there is nothing out there. I'm scared to open it, but I have to. No. Uh, uh, no. What did you see? Men. What men? All wet. Dripping wet and, and not alive. They were looking at me. Listen. I didn't see a thing, Chief, and neither did you. Did you hear me? All you saw was what your scared brain told you to see. That's what it was, what you've talked yourself into. Now pull yourself together, sailor. But I tell you, I saw it. Then I'll prove it to you. No! See? Nothing, I told you. What the... Water on the floor. And... Where did that come from? A piece of... Seaweed.
about a dozen, McClure. Go down and try to get a response. It'll help that sub-rescue outfit if they can get a specific location. How will they get in, sir? Uh, through the forward torpedo compartment, or the stern. Then they'll have to blow each of the six other compartments before they can enter. What if I don't get any answers, sir? We haven't heard from them in almost a half an hour. If you don't get any answer, come back up. The rescue team will take it from there. No survivors then, sir. Is that what it'll mean? That's what it'll mean. They'll bring up bodies, not survivors. Okay, McClure. Hop to it. Aye, sir. the sub, sir. The next noise you hear, that'll be me. Go ahead, McClure. Pound away. Any response? None, sir. No response anywhere. Keep trying. Yes, sir. McClure? Captain, I found something here. Wait a minute. Make it out. What about the response? Did you hear anything? No, sir. Nothing. Give it a few more minutes. Yes, sir. No soap? No soap. Uh, it really frost me. To get so close to those poor devils and then... Ah, the sub-rescue ship is due here at 0300. Keep an eye peeled. I'm going aft to meet McClure. Aye, sir. Bet it feels good to get that helmet off. Oh. Yeah, it sure does. It's so dark down there now. Without the light, I couldn't see a blasted thing. Real spooky. But I found this. Yeah, thanks, McClure. Good job. Go get some chow. I'll need you one more time when the ASR team gets here. You're going to have to go down as a pathfinder. Give them any help they need. But that won't be for a while. Excuse me, sir. But you'd better look at those tags. You've got to be kidding me. What's the matter, sir? Ensign, ask Doc if Chief Bell is well enough to report to my quarters, because I need an explanation for this one. Fast! Go ahead, Bell. Read what it says on these dog tags. I don't have to, sir. I know what it says. It says, Bell, William J. That's yours. Yes, sir. McClure found it on the deck of that sub down there. When did you lose him, Bell? I lost him a long time ago, sir. Twenty years ago. How? I don't remember, sir. Try, Bell. Try to remember. I was... I was on a ship. What ship, Bell? Uh, a submarine. The one below us, sir. That was my boat. Who's making the noise down there, Bell? What's it all about? Do you know? We were on the surface. It was night. I was a signal man then. I was supposed to put the infrared filter over the signal lights. Otherwise, they would have seen us. They would have seen the light. They would have found us. I don't know what happened. I was scared, clumsy. I dropped the signal light. The filter fell off. They were waiting for us out there. Japanese destroyers. They saw our light. 
And it was my fault. They let us have it. They straddled us with the first salvo. The captain took the sub down, but it was too late. They unloaded depth charges. And that sub wasn't ever coming up again. What about you? I got flung over the side when the first salvo hit. And all that time I was in the water, I could... You could what? I could hear the voices of our guys down below me. They were... They were screaming. I know what it is now. This crazy feeling I've had. What? What is it, though? I got out. One guy out of the whole crew. I got picked up later on by one of our destroyers. But I got out. Do you understand, Captain? I sank that sub. I was responsible, but I got out. Bell, I want you to listen to me. Those guys. Those guys down in the sub. They know I'm up here. Bell, hear me out. I should be with them. I should be down in that sub. Bell! I should be dead. That noise, that pounding, those are the guys down there who are calling muster on me. They're calling muster on me! Will you hear me out? Will you listen to just a little logic now? A little reason? No one man sinks a sub, and one lousy circumstance doesn't decide a battle. In one case of sudden fear doesn't add up to a coward. You've been taking a dirty rap for 20 years. You've slept with it, you've hung it around your neck, you've let it get deep inside you and tear you to pieces. But let me tell you something, Bell. It's a bum rap. It's a miserable, deadweight guilt that you've blown up way out of proportion to the facts. And do you know what the facts are, Bell? The sub was dead in the water and surrounded by enemy craft. That crew was doomed. Do you understand? A frightened sailor didn't sink a ship and destroy a crew. A war did. A set of circumstances did. Bell, Bell, you gotta believe me. All you should put in your sea bag is regret, not guilt. Do you understand, Bell? Not guilt. The Colin Muster! Bell, come back here! The Colin Muster on me! Bell! Bell, get away from the rail. Now, that's an order. They're calling me! Man overboard! Starboard side! Rescue ship says you got inside. Yes, sir. It was a wreck. Nobody had a chance. Nobody? Nobody, sir. The periscope shears had been cut in half. One section was just hanging there, swinging back and forth. Then that was the noise. That was the noise, wasn't it? I guess so, sir, but... But? There were eight men down in that control room. Eight men. Or what was left of them. And one of them... One of them had a hammer in his hand. Let's just say, McClure... 
Let's just say that this is the part of the story you tell your grandchildren that you make up yourself. Say anything you like, any explanation that comes to mind. Aye, sir. Funny how long it takes some men to die. Or to find any peace at all. Sometimes I think that's the worst thing about a war. Not just what it does to the bodies, but it does to the minds. So, rest in peace, Mr. Bell. I think it's your due now. At long last, rest in peace. Small naval engagement. The month of July, 1963. Not to be found in any historical annals. Look for this one filed under H for haunting in the Twilight Zone. Thirty Fathom Grave starring Blair Underwood with Stacy Keach as your narrator was adapted for radio by Dennis Etcherson and based on a script by Rod Serling. Heard in the cast were Richard Hensel, Rich Kamenick, Linda Ryder, Turk Muller, Peter DeVito, Doug James, Rick Peoples, Roger Wolski, and Carl Amari. To learn more about the Twilight Zone radio dramas and to obtain audio cassettes and CDs of these programs, visit our website at twilightzoneradio.com. The producers of the Twilight Zone wish to thank CBS Enterprises, Carol Serling, Dennis Etcheson, Dick Brescia Associates, Claire Simon Casting, Terry Jennings, Exim Satellite Radio, the American Forces Radio and Television Service, Sirius Satellite Radio, our sponsors and our radio affiliates for helping make this series possible. This copyrighted radio series is produced and directed by Carl Amari and Roger Wolski for Falcon Picture Group. Doug James speaking. Traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Morning, Mr. Castle. Hello, Ned. Any mail today? Got it right here. Where's my registered letter? Registered? Oh, I didn't see one. The one that says I won the publisher's house sweepstakes. Oh, oh well, I'll keep an eye out for it. I entered that one myself. Instead, I get only bills. Yeah, the check's in the mail, Mr. Castle. Say, maybe tomorrow, huh? <laughs> maybe. See ya. Another bill, and another, and another. Edna, what about the gas and electric? What? The gas and electric bill. How many months is that? Two months. That's one you'd better pay. That's the one I can't pay. Mr. Castle? How are you, Mrs. Gumley? Uh, it, just, just fine, Mr. Castle. Good. Glad to hear it. Uh, how have you been? Oh, 
Can't complain. Been having a lot of rain, haven't we? What? Oh, yes. Quite a bit of rain for this time of year. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's good for the flowers. Uh, how's that? Good for the flowers. The, the rain, that is. Yeah, very good for flowers. An heirloom today, Mr. Castle. An heirloom, Mrs. Gumley. You don't say. Oh, yes, Mr. Castle. Been in my family for years. Has it now? Years and years. It's supposed to be very valuable. Hand-blown glass is what it is. Mrs. Gumley, it's just a plain old glass wine bottle. Do you know what it's worth, actually? Nothing. Not even a deposit. If you could find the store where it came from, that's what they'd give you. Nothing. I could let it go for a dollar. Mrs. Gumley, if I could spare a dollar, I'd give it to you. Believe me, I would. But things have been rough here. The pawn shop business isn't what it used to be. I'm so in debt myself. But... I see. Wait a moment. Yes. One dollar it is, then. I wish it could be more, Mrs. Gumley. I really do. God bless you, Mr. Castle. I could kiss you. Stop that now. It's nothing. You're a wonderful man. Good luck to you. And to you. Better days for all of us. Mr. Castle, it's not an heirloom, you know. I found it in a garbage can. It's just a dirty old cheap glass bottle. Please, please forgive me for lying to you. That's all right, Mrs. Gumley. Who knows? Maybe it'll turn out to be an heirloom. We'll just have to wait and see. Who was that? No one. It sounded like Mrs. Gumley. Then I heard the cash register. What did you buy this time? Edna. Oh, a bottle. Gorgeous. She said it was an heirloom. Is that right? She has to eat, doesn't she? And you don't? That's not the point. Arthur, we're a couple of weeks away from bankruptcy. Don't you think I know that? Then you'd better start rubbing that bottle and pray, Arthur. Pray that a genie appears. Because that's about the only hope we have left. Oh, Edna. Edna, please. Mr. and Mrs. Arthur Castle, suspended in that brief fragment of time before fate comes out of a bottle. Mr. and Mrs. Arthur Castle, gentle and infinitely patient people whose lives have been a hope chest with a rusty lock and a lost set of keys. But in just a moment, that hope chest will be opened, and an improbable phantom will try to bedeck the drabness of these two people's failure-laden lives with the gold and precious stones of fulfillment. Mr. and Mrs. Arthur Castle, standing on the outskirts and about to enter the Twilight Zone. And now... The Twilight Zone and our story, The Man in the Bottle, starring Ed Begley Jr. 
with Stacy Keach as your narrator. Here, give me the bottle straight into the trash with it. If you won't do it, I will. Wait, it's worth a couple of cents. A couple of cents, Arthur? A couple of cents? We've got more creditors than we've got cheap watches. You promised me no more handouts. Look, Edna, maybe all that's left for me is to try and find someone who I can feel sorry for. Can you understand that? I need to feel that I'm doing something of value. Maybe a man can be a failure for only so long, and then... And then... And then it catches up with him. Arthur, you're not a failure. Of course I am. Look around, Jedna. In this clutter, you see the legacy of a hundred years. My grandfather owned the shop, and it finally broke his heart. Then my father, and it killed him too. The meanness of it, Edna. The shabbiness of it. The hand-to-mouth of it. This isn't just a hawk shop where you buy the pitiful little residue of other people's failures. It's a shrine to failure. That's what it is. It's a mausoleum. A burial ground for people's hopes. Arthur, please don't talk like that. Edna, what happens to us anyway? What happens to us? Have you ever thought of that? We're not old people, and yet this place is making us old. This should be years ahead of us, years without having to make do, scrimping and counting and picking over checkbooks and budgets and final notices and old bills and... Careful, Arthur, you're knocking things over. I don't care about the bottle. I'm trying to explain... <gasps> Arthur, what's all that smoke? I don't know, but it seems to be coming from... Inside Mrs. Gumley's bottle. How do you do? Where did you come from? From the bottle, of course. The bottle? It fell to the floor, the cork popped out, and here I am, at your service. I'm supposed to buy that. What do you take me for? Rather than go into any lengthy generic explanation of my existence, suffice it to say that I am here, and I am, in fact, a genie. In a business suit with a derby hat and a walking stick. And you expect me to believe that, that you're a genie? That's quite correct. There's no such thing, except in fairy tales. On the contrary, I am living proof, in a manner of speaking. Arthur, who is this man? You'll have to do better than that, mister. I don't know what you're trying to pull here. Very well, I'll get right to the point. I can offer you four wishes with a guaranteed performance. Four wishes? Aha! You got that wrong. It's supposed to be three. In every book I ever read, it was three wishes. Better get your story straight. That's a myth, I'm afraid. Oh, they may have offered only three in the beginning. But for some time now, four has been the operant number. Some considerable time. It's proven to be the most effective option. Think about it. Too few, and a person may waste the opportunity of a lifetime, so to speak. Too many, and, well, the possibilities can get out of hand. Frivolous, in other words. The opportunities tend to cancel each other out, if you see my point. You've got your answers down, I'll give you that. I think I better sit. Well, Mr. Castle, Mrs. Castle, what do you have in mind? Arthur, I don't understand. What, what, what's happening here? Don't worry, Edna. The bottom line is he's a con man. He has to be. But I see him. Don't you? I don't know what I see could be some kind of hypnotist or something. Remember that guy in television? He made an elephant disappear. Child's play. Smoke and mirrors. You, you're telling me you're not a magician? Nothing of the sort. 
I grant four wishes to the owner and then go back inside the bottle for a century and a day. A hundred years inside a bottle. Plus one day. A nice touch, don't you agree? Until a summons comes from the next owner. What if there isn't another owner? But my dear fellow, there must be. Consider the span of a man's life. Three score and ten. Isn't that the tradition? So let's say nobody calls you, or it's the wrong day. Ah, you've hit the nail on the head. I've learned to cultivate patience beyond anything you can possibly imagine. All of which means you're extraordinarily lucky today. As am I, in a manner of speaking. <gasps> Maybe he's from the lottery. We didn't play the lottery this week, Edna. Just as well. The odds are quite unrealistic. What I'm offering you transcends any lottery the world has ever known. They're strictly nickel and dime operations in comparison. I have to think this over. Take your time. Interesting shop you have here. Chinese vases, Tiffany lamps, bric-a-brac of every sort. Mostly imitation, of course. No offense. Nonetheless, I have the distinct feeling I've seen some of these items before. How could you if you haven't been out of the bottle in a hundred years? I meant the originals. The originals? How old are you? If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Hmm, nice silver cigarette case. Faux Victorian, isn't it? My uncle's. He passed it down from his great-uncle, who bought it in Liverpool in 1914. <laughs> Is that what he said? How much? Take it. Get back to the subject. What else about the wishes? Oh, yes. Now, I think the business at hand is for you and Mrs. Castle to decide the nature of your four wishes, keeping in mind, of course, that each wish is irrevocable. Once made, it is fulfilled, and once fulfilled, it is a matter of record. It can only be altered by yet another wish. Clear, Mr. Castle? Clear enough. I think we'd better call the police. Why not wish for them? I can bring you Scotland Yard, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or every bobby in the City of London. That won't be necessary. Is it the police you want? No. That's not what we'd wish for. Arthur, are you out of your mind? Go ahead, Mr. Castle. You were saying? Well, if I had a wish... You believe him? Just for the sake of argument, let's say that I wanted that broken glass in the case over there. Let's say I wanted it to be fixed. The glass display case? Unless that's too hard for you. I broke it cleaning up the other day. One whole side is cracked. Is that all? It's too expensive to replace and impossible to glue together. Impossible. Would you like to make it official, Mr. Kessel? Arthur, be careful with this man. You don't know what he's after. Well, Mr. Kessel, is that your wish? Yes, that is my wish. I want the glass in the case to be repaired. Very well, then. Am I dreaming? It's a magic trick. It has to be. No. You're not dreaming, Edna. I see it too. It's like new. How... How did you do that? Next. What? Well, Mr. Castle, you have three wishes left. Three wishes. Three. Edna, three wishes. Anything we want. Think, Edna, think. What... What, what do we want? Why, I don't... I don't know. I asked you to think. I'm frightened. A new shop, Edna. An expensive shop on Fifth Avenue. We could have that just for the asking. But Arthur... Or travel. Take trips. 
We could see the places we could never afford to visit, like Paris or Rome or, or even the South Seas. We could take a cruise around the world, first class. Surely there's a catch. Oh, money. A hundred thousand dollars. Two hundred thousand dollars. A million. We wouldn't have to grub anymore. We wouldn't have to sit here and waste our lives away. Arthur, it isn't right. There's something... There's something unholy about it. Clothes, Edna. Expensive clothes. Jewels. A beautiful house. No more worries for the rest of our lives. Are you sure? Edna, we don't have to rot away here. We can have anything we want. Anything, Edna. Money. Money? The simplest of all requests, Mr. Castle. Simple? For you, maybe. How much would you like? In what denominations? Edna, how much do we want? I... I don't know. I, I just don't know. A million dollars. That's what we want. A million dollars. In what form? Gold? Silver? Of course, there are market fluctuations in precious metals, so there will naturally be an element of risk. Platinum shows the least movement. Diamonds are relatively stable at the moment. Forget it. Cash only. All negotiable U.S. currency. Very good. Denominations? No fifties or hundreds. Make it five and ten dollar bills. Recent dates and no counterfeits. Where would you like it? Savings account or checking? Perhaps a numbered deposit in a Swiss bank? Right here. Here? Where I can see it. On the floor? Don't you worry about that. Just bring it here. I'll take care of the rest. That is your second wish. You understand English, don't you? That's our wish. Coming right up. Oh, just one thing. Aha! Arthur, I told you. Do you mind terribly if I... If what? If I smoke. Is that all? Of course, if you prefer otherwise. I see the no smoking sign on the wall. No, no. Go right ahead. Very well. Now then, Mr. Castle, where were we? Ah, yes, I was about to say, ask and you shall receive. What's that? Where's it coming from? What is it? It's money. Look at it. A rain of money. Edna, Edna, a million dollars, Edna. <laughs> A million dollars! There you are, Edna. Champagne. I think I've had more than enough. I suppose you're right. How can I work if I have a hangover? Well, you could take the day off. Edna, you're a genius. Why didn't I think of that? We both could. Close up the store and... And what? I wouldn't know what to do, would you? Well, let's see now. It's a beautiful day. We could take a walk together in the park. Oh, Arthur, I'd have to get dressed up and I, I don't have any comfortable shoes. Or we could go to a restaurant. Any restaurant at all. But we've already had lunch. Then we could take in a film downtown, or a play, a musical. Do you know how many years it's been since we did that? And leave all this money out like this? I don't think that would be a good idea. So, we're prisoners here. 
We can't go anywhere, do anything, for fear that someone might steal it from under our noses. What good is it? Oh, Arthur, we can put it in the bank. That's tomorrow. The bank's closed now. Unless... What are you thinking? Call your brother on the telephone. Tell him to come over here. He needs money for his operation, remember? Oh, I like that idea. And while you're at it, call Avritin, the butcher, and Mrs. Tiola, and the checker at the market. And that nice girl at the bank. And the dry cleaner. And here, look in the book. All our old customers, the ones who can't afford to get their valuables out of hock. Call them all, every one. What will I say? Tell them, tell them we need their help. It's a miracle, that's what it is. I couldn't believe it when they called. They're such wonderful people. And so generous, too. Hey, now, what's going on here? Hello, Officer McLaurin. The line's halfway down the street. <laughs> yes, it certainly is. Are they having a fire sale in there, or what? It's that nice Mr. Castle and his wife. What about them? They're, well, they're redeeming things. What things? All kinds of things, as long as you've got your pawn ticket. Even if you don't, they remember. <laughs> they're redeeming us. That's what they're doing. It's the loveliest gesture I've ever seen. Hi there, Mrs. Gumley. Beautiful day. <laughs> Indeed it is. Your turn, Mrs. Gumley. Go on in. Hold on. Where'd you get that fistful of money? Right inside, officer. From Mr. and Mrs. Castle, bless their souls. What are they doing, running numbers? Nothing like that. Strictly legit. You're telling me they gave it to you? Sure did. Enough to pay off their tab at the butcher shop and then some. Plus the next ten years in advance. And whereabouts did they get this bankroll? Don't ask me. But their ship sure must have come in big time. The horses, was it? Or the lottery? I heard it was the sweepstakes that came in the mail. No, no, it was their cousin. He died and left them a fortune. Well, we'll just have to see about that. They're not breaking any laws. I haven't had my turn yet. You're not going to arrest them, are you? Maybe not, but I'll keep a close eye on the situation. In the meantime, I know someone who might be real interested in all this. Uh, don't you people go blocking the sidewalk now. Mrs. Gumley, how are you? Very well, thank you. Here, you take this now. I want you to have it. Oh, so much! Don't you worry about it, Mrs. Gumley. Anything you need, anything at all, you come to us. There's more where that came from. For you, plenty more. God bless you both. Here you are, Reverend. It's honest money. You can get the church painted. Oh, that would be so nice for the parishioners. <laughs> I know how long you've been taking up collections. Yes, but I'm afraid it's never enough. Well, it is now. Consider it done. Well, thank you. I'll consider it a donation. <laughs> Don't mention it. Buy a round for everybody. On me. Is that all of them? Oh, for now. Put the close sign in the window, would you please? Of course, dear. Whew. Now that's what I call a day's work. <laughs> you did wonderfully well, Arthur. I'm so proud of you. You know, Edna, I don't care how we spend the rest. I feel so good right now, seeing all those happy faces. I know. It would be nice to get away for a while, though. I agree. Some time in the sun, nothing fancy. How much do we have left? Look in the box. It's still practically full. We didn't put a dent in it. Your father would be proud. 
Rest his soul. And your grandfather. Tell me your opinion about something, Edna. If you like, dear. I'm wondering, do you suppose I still need to carry on the family business? Well... We don't have a son or daughter. I'd say you've more than done enough, Arthur. All these years. Even if we did have kids, I'd rather leave them money to start their own business. Something with a future. What about your cousin's children? Oh, that would be a wonderful present. And what about you? You've been so patient all these years. What would you like? Well, first, of course, you're going to retire. No ifs, ands, or buts. And then, wherever you'd like to live, Arthur, as long as we're together. Of course we'll be together. You think I'm going to take up with a young floozy? Oh, no, no, I don't think that. You wouldn't. It's not in your nature. But you're tired. You need to rest. <laughs> we both do. Rest and live. Yes. Good afternoon, Mr. Castle. Do I know you? Let me see. Harry Joy's son. I don't believe we've met before. Wait. Stu Wintner's nephew. That's it. <laughs> Not quite. Are you from the life insurance company? Because if you are, we've got your payment right here. Just let me count it out for you. In cash. Is that all right? That's not necessary. Or we could write you a check just as soon as we make a deposit. And quite a deposit it will be by the looks of all this. I told you, Arthur, we should have put it away. Let me give you my card. Internal Revenue Service. That's correct. There's a matter of an income tax, Mr. Castle. You just send us the bill and we'll pay it. But send the bill in a hurry, would you please? My wife and I will be taking off for Europe very shortly. Oh, could we? <laughs> Consider it done. Where would you like to go first? The Eiffel Tower, an African safari, waltzing in Vienna, perhaps? <laughs> dancing? We haven't been dancing since... Well, since I don't remember. Oh, that's about to change. Dependents? Hmm? Just a few details for the record. Ask away. We have nothing to hide. How many dependents can you claim? The whole neighborhood. They don't count. Wait, wait. What's that figure? The one you just wrote down? Beginning with a sum of one million dollars taxed on the basis of a husband and wife using the standard deductions and taking into account unpaid back taxes, approximately nine hundred and seven thousand dollars. That's how much I have left? Good! Fabulous! <laughs> That's how much you owe the government. I beg your pardon? In addition, there's a state income tax involved, which, using thumb rule, would come to a rough figure of $35,000. You mean hundreds, don't you? Then there will be a matter of a 5% penalty. For what? If you fail to file a declaration within 30 days of today's date, but I'm sure you won't let that happen, the whole thing will amount to about, uh, roughly, mind you, let's see here, $942,640. Arthur, we've given away a lot of money already. I'll figure out how much. Fill out this form and send it to us with your check. It should be self-explanatory. If you want to use the installment plan, we'll send you a statement after your records have been analyzed. Mr. Castle? Yeah. 
Yeah, send us the bill. We'll be seeing you. Good evening to you, Mrs. Castle. I wonder if we can appeal it. Help me, Edna. You take this pile. 76, 77, 78. Oh, Arthur, where's the genie when we need him? Well, how much is there? Nine hundred ten thousand five hundred thirty-five, nine hundred ten thousand five hundred forty dollars. We gave away almost sixty thousand dollars, and this goes to taxes, leaving us with this one five-dollar bill. That's our entire profit, Edna. Five whole dollars. That was quite a wish, Arthur. Quite a wish, and we haven't even paid the bills yet. If you'll recall, it was my suggestion that you reflect very carefully, Mr. Castle. Very, very carefully. <laughs> now he shows up. Had you made a wish that took into account the taxes involved... Look, you. Plenty of sweet talk and promises and the whole thing. And all the time, you're nothing but a con artist, after all. This time, I want the million dollars, but I want it after... Arthur, no more money. You've got to wish for something else. Oh, something else, then. A new store. A chain of stores. They could burn down one hour after we get them. Success? Be careful, Mr. Castle. Success is a pretty broad term. He's right. You can't wish for success. I've got it. How about ten more wishes? Or twenty? Or... Very clever, Mrs. Castle. Wishing for more wishes... But I'm afraid that isn't permitted. Frankly, I'd be afraid to have you try for fear of the consequences. What consequences? Why do you have to keep losing your temper? Why can't you think about this thing carefully and, and then come up with well, a... Well, you're no help to me, that's for sure. Here we stand in the middle of this crummy little pawn shop with a whole world out in front of us and anything to wish for that we want. Anything. And you just stay on my back and... Stop it. This doesn't sound like you. Not like the man I married. Not at all. Edna, what's happening to us? What's really going on here? Oddly enough, this is the normal pattern that seems to be generally followed. Great excitement, great emotionalism, and strangely enough, hard to believe though it may be, only a modicum of happiness. Well, you've got cheap customers here. Our price is no longer so high. We're people who haven't had much happiness. People who've carried a crummy hawk shop on their backs all their lives. What, Edna? Tell me. What do we wish for? I don't know, Arthur. I just don't know. What about it? What can I wish for now? What can come to me without tricks? Without tricks? I question the semantics here, Mr. Castle. There are no tricks involved. There are simply normal and understandable outgrowths and conditions that go with any windfall. No matter what you wish for, you must be prepared for the consequences. What sort of consequences? Nothing more than cause and effect. Consider, for example, what happens when you throw a stone into a lake. The stone sends out ripples in the water. After a while, these ripples reach the shore. The bigger the stone, the bigger the ripples. And if the stone is large enough, you'll get a wave of water, even a tidal wave that could sweep you off your feet. It all depends on how much you disturb the way things were to begin with. Now do you see what I mean about consequences? That I need something without consequences. 
I'm not sure that's entirely possible. Something dead sure, at least. Something anchored, something airtight. I must agree, that would be the ticket. Is there such a thing? Sit down now, you'll give yourself a heart attack. Edna, I think I've got it. I think I know what it is. What, Arthur? Power, Edna. Power, prerogatives, to be in charge of something, to be a boss, to be a leader, with respect and the freedom to live as one likes. We could wish for that. Possible. Very possible. President of a corporation? That sort of thing? We could be sued, go bankrupt. Warden of a prison. That's idiotic. Mayor of a city. We could get voted out of office, and then what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know what. Head of a country. Ruler of a whole country. That's it. Who can't be voted out of office. What about it, Jeannie? I want to be the head of a country who can't be voted out of office. Is that your wish? Do you want to be more specific than that? Hold on, hold on. Let me give it to you this way. I want to be the head of a foreign country who can't be voted out of office. But it must be a major country, well-known. Not some poverty-stricken third-world place. And not in ancient times, either, in modern history. How do you define modern? Within my lifetime, and developed. A fully industrialized country, with millions of educated people, where I'm very popular and can't be voted out of office. No problem. You sure? Of course I'm sure. I mean, what about the consequences? Consequences, Mr. Castle? I've already told you. You run the risk of consequences no matter what you wish for. Like the ripples in a stream. There's no predicting, at least not with absolute certainty, where they'll lead. All right, then. Go ahead, Arthur. Wish for that. The thing you said. I want to be the head of a foreign country, just as I've described it. Now it's your turn, Jeannie. Take over. As you wish, Mr. Castle. <laughs> as you wish. <laughs> You'll forgive me, sir. Yes? I have not slept in three nights now, but the situation is as I described. The first Ukrainian army has cut us off from the south. There's no sign of Vink's reserve army. There is no reserve army. We are simply doomed. There is no hope for us. From now on, it is just a mass suicide. Did you hear what I said? They are already in Berlin? What about it, Führer? Führer? What do you want to do? Why do you call me that name? Here is what you asked for. Very quick and very painless, mein Führer. And we have the gasoline for you and Miss Braun. When you're finished... Head of a country. Can't be voted out of office. It's the end of the war and I'm in a bunker and I'm... Hail Hitler! It's almost the end. I've given them the poison. We'll take their bodies out into the courtyard and burn them when it's finished. Have the gasoline ready. I won't take the poison. I wish... I wish I were back where it all started. I wish I were Arthur Castle again. Oh, Arthur, you've broken it. What? Broken what? The bottle Mrs. Gumley brought in. Why, I have, haven't I? 
not poison, and an old wine bottle. Let me sweep it up for you. I can do it. It had no value anyway. No, no value at all. I'm here. My final wish. I'm really here now. Where is he? Where is who? You know who I mean. The... the... And why would he be here? You've had your four wishes, remember? No, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I'm a four-time loser. What do you expect? I just wish he doesn't come back. I wish... There you go, wishing again. Right. Why should I? Why did I? Look at what we have here, Edna. We have a business that's been in my family for three generations. And each other. We have each other. I'm going to stop wishing for a while. You know, Edna, I can't afford a brand new life. Neither can I. I think I'll just give the old one a new paint job. <laughs> you know something, Arthur? I think that's a very good idea. <laughs> what is it? Look, your first wish, the glass case, it's not broken. It's still repaired. <laughs> so we came out ahead after all. Nothing's ever a complete loss, is it? Careful. Arthur with the broom handle. Well, we were ahead. Now you have more glass to clean up. You know something? I don't mind cleaning up any of it. Not at all. In fact, not at all. A poet named Lowell said it, something to the effect that granting our wish is one of fate's saddest jokes. Lesson to be learned out of a few fragments of broken glass in a trash can. And a word to the wise, to the garbage collectors of the world, to the curio seekers, to the antique buffs, to everyone who would try to coax a miracle from unlikely places. Check the bottle you're taking back for that deposit, because the genie you save might be your own. Case in point, Mr. and Mrs. Arthur Castle, fresh from the briefest of trips into the Twilight Zone. The Man in the Bottle, starring Ed Begley Jr., with Stacy Keach as your narrator, was adapted for radio by Dennis Etchison and based on a script by Rod Serling. Heard in the cast were Linda Ryder, David Darlow, Guy Burrill, Rosalind Alexander, Richard Hensel, Rich Komenik, Carl Amari, Diane Trice, and Irene Olson. To learn more about the Twilight Zone radio dramas and to obtain audio cassettes and CDs of these programs, visit our website at twilightzoneradio.com. The producers of The Twilight Zone wish to thank CBS Enterprises, Carol Serling, Dennis Etchison, Dick Brescia Associates, Claire Simon Casting, Terry Jennings, XM Satellite Radio, Sirius Satellite Radio, our sponsors and our radio affiliates for helping make this series possible. This copyrighted radio series is produced and directed by Carl Amari and Roger Wolski for Falcon Picture Group. Doug James speaking.
You're traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead, your next stop, the Twilight Zone. How much is this? Shall I wrap it up for you, ma'am? I got all my Christmas shopping done. I need one more present for Uncle Fred. Could you put a big red ribbon on that? Ma, where is he? He'll be here, Tommy. How long? Just a few more minutes. I don't believe it. He's never coming. Excuse me. Yes, madam. Are you the manager? Indeed I am. Mr. Dundee at your service. Well, I have a question for you. Gift wrapping? The customer service counter is downstairs on the first floor. No, no, not there. Oh, a special Christmas item. I'm sure we can find something. What exactly were you... Listen to me, Mr. Dundee. See this sign? What about it? What does it say? Santa will return at 6 o'clock. It's almost 6.30. Oh, yes. Well, you see... And my boy's been waiting all year to see him. We can't stand in line forever. I'll look into it, madam. Perhaps Santa has been detained. You know, so many presents to wrap up at the uh, North Pole. I'm sure the boy understands. You don't know my boy. Listen up, Dundee. If the guy in the red suit doesn't show in five minutes, we're going to another department store. Really, that won't be necessary. I want to talk to Santa. How now, son? Where is he? Bartender, pour me another one, will you? Coming right up. Hey, Corwin. Yeah. See the clock on the wall? What about it? You told me to tell you when it was 6.30? Well, it's 6.30. That's exactly what it is. 6.30 on the dot. So what happens now? You turn into a reindeer? Would that that was so. One more, my good man. That's five drinks. No, six. And a sandwich. You owe me, Santa. Relax. I've got your money right here. Say, will you look at that? Where? Those two at the window. Little boy and little girl. Sad faces, don't you think? Yeah, they peek in here, they see Santa getting plastered. Real nice. Go on, show! That's not what's eating them. What is it then? They know there isn't really a Santa Claus. No kidding. Why do you suppose that is? How's that? Don't you ever wonder why there isn't a real one? For kids, I mean. What am I, a philosopher? You know what your trouble is, Corwin? You let that stupid red suit go to your head. Here's your change. I'll flip you for it. Double or nothing. What do you think this is, Atlantic City? Come on, eat your sandwich and get out of here. I've had enough to eat. Where's my drink? I'm coming. Oh, ouch. And keep your fingers out of the till. All right, all right. Can't you take a joke? I catch you doing that one more time, I'm going to break both your arms up to your shoulder blades. Now go on, get out of here. What's going on? Nothing. Just Santa trying to hoist the joint. What's that for? Your tip, my good man. Take it easy now. Ooh, snow's pretty slippery. Oh! Oh, oh, I better sit down for a minute. 
Mr. Santa? Huh? I want a baby carriage and a dolly and a playhouse and a job for my daddy. What? And I want a gun and a, and a set of play soldiers and, and a big turkey for Christmas dinner. You don't think... Oh, you poor kids. Don't you get it? I, I can't help you. I, I can't... I can't even... That's okay. We can wait. We always wait for Santa Claus. This is Mr. Henry Corwin, normally unemployed, who once a year takes the lead role in a uniquely American institution, that of the department store Santa Claus, in a road company version of The Night Before Christmas. But in just a moment, Mr. Henry Corwin, ersatz Santa Claus, will enter a strange kind of North Pole, which is one part the wondrous spirit of Christmas and one part the magic that can only be found in the Twilight Zone. And now, The Twilight Zone and our story, Night of the Meek. Starring Chris McDonald with Stacy Keach as your narrator. What is he? This is so inconsiderate. Here he comes, finally. Will you look at that? Why, he can hardly stand up. That's oh, disgraceful. There you are. Hello, boys and girls. Ho, ho, ho. Corwin, you're an hour late. I am? One hour and nine minutes, to be exact. Can you beat that? I advise you to get up on your throne without further ado. I'm going. I'm going. And refrain from disillusioning these children any further. All right. All right. I'm going. By showing them that not only isn't there a Santa Claus, but the one in this store happens to be a wino who'd be more at home playing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I take your point, Mr. Dundee. Stand aside. St. Nick is back on the job. Go ahead, climb up on his lap. He won't hurt you, will you, Santa? You won't hurt my little boy. Go on, you tell him. <laughs> What's your name, lad? Percival. You're putting me on. Percival Smithers. The third. My dad's name was Percival Smithers. My grandfather's name was Percival Smithers. Oh, I get it. Well, I guess that's not your fault. So, what would you like for Christmas, uh, young Percival? A new front name. <laughs> That's a good one. A real good one. I gotta remember it. Hey, Ma? Yes, dear? I smell something funny. You do? Yeah. And I know what it is, too. The same as Dad. Santa Claus is loaded. Leave my boy alone. Lady, I never laid a glove on a kid. Oh, you've got some nerve drinking on the job. Madam, I am... Mortally ashamed. Oh, you should be. Come along, Percival. I hope this won't scar you for life. Is there some trouble here? Trouble? No, there's no trouble, except that this is the last time I trade in this store. It seems you hire your Santa Clauses out of a gutter. Hey, who are you referring to? Drunken sot. Come on, Percival. Some Santa Claus? You don't even look like him. Mr. Dundee. That lady... It's got a problem. All right, everyone back to work. Back to your positions. And you, as for you, Mr. Kris Kringle of the Lower Depths, 
Since we are only a few hours from closing, it is my distinct pleasure to inform you that there is no further need for your questionable services. You've had it. Now get out of here. It'll be my pleasure. Pick up your pay downstairs. Oh, and one more piece of advice. I'm all ears. Get that moth-eaten red suit back to where you rented it before you really tie one on and destroy it for good and all, you drunk. Thank you ever so much, Mr. Dundee. As to my drinking, it is in... indefensible. You have my abject apologies. Don't waste your breath. That just doesn't cut it with me anymore. But I have feelings, you know? Plain old human feelings, same as anybody. And I find of late that I have very little choice in the matter of how I express my emotions. I can either drink or I can... weep. And drinking is so much more subtle. Will you please leave? But as to my alleged insubordination, I assure you I was not rude to that woman. Someone should remind her that Christmas isn't just barging up and down department store aisles and pushing people out of the way. Or when I'm warning you. Someone should tell her that Christmas is something quite different from that. It's richer and finer and truer and... And it should come with patience and love and charity, compassion. That's what I would have told her had she given me the chance. My, how philosophical, Mr. Corwin. Perhaps, as your parting words, you can tell us how we go about living up to those grand Yule standards which you have so graciously laid out for us. I don't know how. I wouldn't know how to explain it, especially to you. All I know is that I am an aging, purposeless relic of another time and place. A different way of life. And now, I, I don't know how it happened, but... One day I woke up and found myself living in a dirty rooming house on a street that's filled with hungry kids and shabby, scared people. Good people. Where the only thing that come down the chimney on Christmas Eve or any other day of the year is more poverty. Keep your voice down. And if you must know, another reason I drink is so that when I walk up and down the tenements, I can think to myself just for a little while that they really are the North Pole, and the children are elves, and I'm really Santa Claus, bringing a bag of beautiful things for all of them. Every last one. That's enough out of you. I wish, Mr. Dundee, on just one Christmas, only one, that I could see some of the hopeless ones, the, the dreamless ones. On just one Christmas, I'd like to see the meek really inherit the earth. So that's why I drink, Mr. Dundee, and that's why I weep. Who is that guy? Never heard anyone talk to Mr. Dundee like that. Never heard anybody talk like that. What the heck is that? Sleigh bells? Yeah, sure it is. Better get home and sober up. Could have sworn I heard... Who's there? In the alley? Stop 
hiding behind those garbage cans. What are you afraid of? Come out so I can see you. Give oh, a start there, kitty. I gotta get sober. Look at the mess you've made. All right, I'll clean it up. Put the cans back in the bag. Lift it up. Put it back where it belongs. Wait a minute. What's in this bag, anyway? <laughs> oh, I don't believe it. It can't be. It, it flat out can't. Excuse me, sister. Is this the Delancey Street Mission House? It is. Could I get something to eat, sister? Will you take a seat with the others? Have yourself a nice cup of coffee. Oh, oh, sure. Dinner will be served after the sermon. Gotcha. I mean, okay. <laughs> Thank you, sister. God bless you. Have a seat. At least the coffee's hot. I sit down and take a load off. Uh, the sermon ain't so bad. No, it don't take long. Here's a chair. Uh, don't mind if I do. All right, what is this all about? You, the noise, the commotion, you. What is the idea of barging in and disrupting our Christmas Eve? Begging your pardon, Sister Florence. I ain't touched a drop since last Thursday, and that's the gospel truth. But I swear to you right now... You on mustn't swear. On account of I seen him with my own eyes. He's coming. Who? Him. Him. Santa Claus is coming to town. Oh, I thank you for the thought. He's coming up the street heading this way and he's giving everybody their heart's desire. Oh, yeah, sure. Santa Claus? Are you kidding me? Pour yourself a cup of coffee. Black. Merry Christmas! I told you, sister, it's him. Now, what'll be your pleasure this year, gentlemen? How about you? Me? Yes, siree. Well, I'd sort of like to have a new pipe. Ha <laughs> ha Let me take a look at my bag. Here you go. A new Mershom. How's that? Oh, thank you. Thank you kindly. How about you? Uh, a woolen sweater? A woolen sweater you shall have. Size? <laughs> Who cares? Here you go. Next. Some new shoes? How about some pipe tobacco? Uh, a carton of cigarettes? Another sweater, maybe? Slippers! A smoking jacket. Where did you get all these gifts? Sister Florence, <laughs> don't ask me to explain because I can't. I'm as much in the dark as anybody else. All I know is that I've got a bag here that gives everybody just what they want for Christmas. As long as it's put now, let's see here. What do you need? How about a new dress, sister? All wrapped up with a pretty ribbon for you. Well, we'll see about that. Don't you want your present? Let's open it for her. Well, looky, looky, an evening gown. And it's strapless. <laughs> there he is. There he is. That's the man. What's your name? Henry Corwin, officer. At least it was Henry Corwin. <laughs> Maybe now it's Mr. S. Claus, or 
Kris Kringle. <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> You're drunk, Corwin. Is that it? Naturally. Naturally, I'm drunk. I'm drunk with the spirit of the Yule. I'm intoxicated with the wonder that is Christmas Eve. I'm inebriated with joy and with delight. Yes, officer, I am quite indubitably drunk. <laughs> all right, all right, hold on there. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. You can begin by handing over that bag of yours right now. Wait a minute. You got no call to... The bag? Or I'm placing you under arrest. You can't arrest Santa Claus. Well, I sure can. And I can arrest every one of you. So let's have that bag. Or we're all going down to the station house. You hard of hearing? I I'm I'm sure we can settle this. Yes, we can, Carwin. And in a hurry. I'd like to see just one little thing. And that would be? Show me the receipt for all this stuff. Right now? The receipt? You heard me. Of course, you've got a receipt. Well, go on, Henry. Show it to the policeman. Sure, you got one, ain't you? Mm, I'm afraid that's the one... the one thing I don't have in this bag. Sister Florence. Yes, officer. Collect all the stolen goods. What stolen goods? And put them in a pile over there. I'll see that they get claimed after I find out where he took the stuff from. Gladly. Come along, Santa. But you don't understand. Move. I want to report a missing person. Yes, ma'am. Fill out a report. Do I get a phone call? After you see the judge, now sit down. Can you take these handcuffs off? Ah, here we are. And here he is. And there you are, Mr. Dundee. Sit down, Corwin. And there that is. All the goods you've stolen. How nice to see you again. And how nice it will be to see you, my wistful St. Nicholas, going up the river. Do you suppose he could get as much as ten years, Officer Flaherty? Ten years? Ah, don't look good, Corwin. Of course, they might lop off a few months if he was to tell us where the rest of the loot is stashed. The rest of it? You think there's a storehouse of some kind where I go to replenish it? Well, ain't there? Why, he may have been looting and pilfering for years. Now I understand. That's why he takes this job every December. He's been giving away stuff for two and a half hours. Must have a whole warehouse full of it. I'm glad you brought that up, officer. There's a little discrepancy here. Little discrepancy? Is that what you call it? Between this bag and what came out of it, did anybody see me go somewhere to fill it up? Because if they did, they're they're lying or deluded. All right, you speak when you're spoken to, Corwin. I'm just trying to clear this up. Listen, you moth-eaten Robin Hood. The wholesale theft of thousands of dollars worth of goods is not a simple discrepancy. I wondered where my inventory went, and now I know. Let's take a look in the bag, shall we? You go right ahead, sir. Be my guest. Though I can tell you right now, Corwin, that this whole affair has come as no surprise to me. I perceived that criminal glint in your eyes the very moment I saw you. I'm not a student of human nature for nothing. I've personally spotted hundreds of shoplifters in my store over the years. I'll bet you tried, if you're any good at it. Quiet. And I can tell you that you fit the profile to a T. Then why did you hire me in the first place? Huh, an act of Christian charity on my part. I try and I try to do for you people. What people? And this is the thanks I get. Maybe if you tried hard enough, I wouldn't need a bag like this. All right, enough already. Mr. Dundee, you go ahead and you check in the bag. 
Believe it or not, I got other cases to handle here tonight. It will be a pleasure to achieve satisfaction. To catch him red-handed, as it were. Well, suit yourself, Mr. Dundee. Go ahead. Reach right in. Who'd let that cat in here? It was in the bag under all this... We'll be adding cruelty to animals to the charges now. Under what? Coffee grounds and empty tin cans? Looks like garbage to me, wouldn't you agree? He must have switched it. Where's the real bag? Uh, Mr. Dundee, you seem to have, um, put your finger on the problem. All your fingers, it looks like. <laughs> Messy, isn't it? Yeah, this isn't funny. No? Give me something to wipe my hands. Well, I guess the bag can't seem to make up its mind whether to give out gifts or garbage. Well, it was giving out gifts when I seen it. Whatever they wanted, Corwin was supplying. And it wasn't trash, neither. It was Christmas presents, toys, all kinds of things, expensive stuff, believe you me. You might as well admit it, Corwin. Oh, I admit it. Well, then, there you are. But I believe the essence of our problem here is that we're dealing with a most unusual bag. One that is both more and less than it seems. So you are some sort of magician con artist. A magician? <laughs> I love those guys. You know, this reminds me of a trick I saw once. Called himself Misto the Magnificent. Used to work down in Coney Island where they had those sideshows. He had a thing called the Never Empty Lotta. You know what a lotta is, officer? What's your point, Corwin? A vase, uh, an urn, sort of. Uh, and he'd, he'd pour out water, glass after glass full, till it was empty. And, and then he'd pick it up and start all over again. Couldn't figure out how he did it. But this bag here, I guess it's like the never-empty lotta. Only thing is, I'm no magician. I wouldn't know how to work it anyway. Whatever's going on, it's out of my hands. Some greater power is at work. I'm... Just the one who happened to be there at the right time and the right place. All right, no more talk. I told you I'm a busy man. For now, Corwin, my advice to you is clean up this mess and get out of my police station before I find a reason to book you. All right. If that's what you want, happy to oblige. Just, just like that? You're letting him go? My hands are tied. There's no evidence. And you, Officer Flaherty, call yourself a policeman? Hey, now. Well, I suppose it's a demanding task to distinguish between a bag full of garbage and an inventory of expensive stolen gifts. Too demanding for a civil servant whose salary is paid by my store city taxes. You can believe me, Mr. Dundee. It's just like Corwin says. We must be dealing with something supernatural here. Oh, in other words, all anyone needs to do is ask this man to make a little abracadabra for them, and no sooner said than done. I, I don't know how it works, but I can well, tell... Well, go ahead. Prove it. I told you. I I'm no magician. Well, it seems miracles are the order of the day, aren't they? I don't go getting sacrilegious. You want me to drop the charges? Well, let's put him to a little test. I, I can't just pull a rabbit out of a hat. Oh, it's to be a rabbit now, is it? Instead of a cat? If you'd listen... Let me see. I fancy... Oh, how about a bottle of cherry brandy? Vintage 1903, if your mystical bag is in the mood to deliver. 1903. That's a good year. A very good year. Hmm. Try this. I hope you like the gift wrapping. And as for you, Officer Flatter... Well, but I guess you two can share the bottle, can't you? What in heaven's name? Where did you get this? Enjoy it, gentlemen. I'll be going now. And to all, a good night. Well, let me open that package for you. You go right ahead. No telling what's inside. Well, would you look at that? Is it a real bottle? 
Looks like one. Feels like it, too. It is a magic trick. It, it, it has to be. The old switcheroo. Either that or I'm dreaming, or I've gone completely mad. Now don't that beat all. 1903, just like you said. The card's even made out to you. To Mr. Dundee from Santa. Here you go. You look like you need it, Mr. Dundee. Give me that. I don't believe it. It's cherry brandy. And a very fine one, I might add. Uh, just one more thing. Yeah? Would you mind terribly much passing the bottle before it's empty? Funny. The bag isn't that heavy. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! I want a jacket and mittens! And a train! Diesel or steam? No, no, electric! And how about you? I'd like... well... Go on, say it. What's your heart's desire? A dolly, please. And what color hair would you like, darling? Blonde, brunette, red, or what have you? Anything's okay. Here you go. Blonde hair, just like you. Oh, thank you, Santa Claus. I love you. And a toy for you. And one for you. <sighs> what's the matter, Santa? Yeah, what's wrong? This bag's getting lighter and lighter. So, what's wrong with that? Well, there are so many folks who need things tonight. I'm just worried about what happens if... If what? What happens if I run out of presents? There it is. Midnight. Could have guessed it. Am I the last one? You are. Last present. In this bag. If someone else needs it... Well, go ahead. I got mine already. Well, if you're sure it's all right. I don't see anybody else around, do you? No. Then here you go, ma'am. It's all yours. Thank you so much. I hope it's something you can use, my dear. Oh, it is. A beautiful new blanket to keep out the cold. Thank you so much. Don't mention it. Yep, looks like your bag's empty, all right. That it is. So, what are you gonna do now? Oh, I'll go on home, I guess. Nothing left to do. Good idea. How about you, old fellow? Me? I can find lots of good places to sleep tonight. Only this time I got these great big old socks you give me to keep me warm. <laughs> Hope they fit. Oh, they're gonna fit just fine. Oh, hey, Santa, oh, can I call you that? Well, might as well. One last time. I kind of like it. I was thinking... That can be dangerous, my friend. Well, it just ain't right. What isn't? What do you get out of it? Well, don't worry about me. I, I, I have had the best Christmas of anybody ever. With nothing for yourself? Not a single thing? Just the best Christmas since... Since the beginning of time, their faces, the look in their eyes. You know something? I can't think of anything I want. Not a single thing. 
Aw, oh, quit joshing me. I'm serious. When I look around, I, I think the only thing I ever wanted was to be able to do something like this. To be the biggest gift giver ever, so folks would feel a little bit better, uh, at least for a while. And in a way, I've had that tonight. A real pleasure. I'm just sorry it has to end. Sure, but you could use something. Well, if I did have a choice, any choice at all of a gift... Go on, you're entitled. I guess I'd wish I could do this every year. Now, that would be some kind of gift, wouldn't it? A lot of work, though. It'd be worth it. That'd sure be something. <laughs> well, you take her easy now. God bless you, and a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Santa. Don't mention it. Whew, I might beat. Now, how'd I get here? That's the alley. Guess I better put the bag back where I found it. What's all this? Looks like somebody's throwing out their Christmas decorations already. That's no decoration. That's your sled. Ah, uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> a sled and a reindeer right here in the alley, just for me. Somebody sure made the eyes look real. He is real. Yeah, about as real as you are, little fella. Little fella. We've been waiting for you. And I suppose you're going to tell me you're a real elf, too. I sure am. We've been waiting for you to come back. Say, where did you rent your costume? I never saw one look that good. Pointed hat, turned up toes. Costume? I made this myself, by hand. And, and the little bells? Must have been a heck of a party. It better be a costume because I haven't had a drink in it. Uh-oh. Oh, no. What's the matter, Santa? No, no, not me. You got the wrong guy. No, I haven't. Did you hear what I said? We've been waiting quite a while, Santa Claus. Better get a move on. We've got a whole year of hard work ahead to get ready for next year. Ready? Come over here. Yes, Santa? Pinch me. If you say so. Ow! You don't have to do it that hard. Are you ready now? I... I don't know. Come on, get in. There's plenty of room. Where? In this sleigh. You sure you don't have the wrong person? Oh, Santa, stop joking and get in. We're late. I don't have to. I, I, I could turn around right now and go home. If you do that, a lot of people would be very sad. Next year. You wouldn't lie to me. Elves can't lie. Okay. Okay. Move over, shorty. Now, how do you work these reins? Good night, Officer Flaherty. Night, Mr. Dundee. So long, fellas. My regards to everybody in the precinct. And a Merry Christmas to you both. Night, boys. See you all in the morning. Watch yourself out there. It's mighty cold. <laughs> now, don't you worry about me. Tonight, I'm feeling no pain. Going home now, Mr. Uh, Mr. Flaherty? That I am. Going home, Mr. Dundee. Assuming I can find me way. I'm sure you will. Left foot, right. Left, right. Try to walk a straight line to the lamppost. Oh, uh, where? Over there. Hang, hang on, I'll hold you up. Uh, and you, Mr. Dundee, home is it? 
Home, Mr. Flaherty. Well, I'll walk you away, if you don't mind. We could stop off for a nightcap. Well, now there's a pub right around the corner. That is a thought. Or just a nip, you know. Uh, to warm the soul. For thy stomach and thy infirmities. Isn't that what the good book says? I do believe it does, Mr. Dundee. You know something else, officer. Uh, now, why don't you tell me? That's what friends are for. Uh, that they are. <laughs> so go ahead now. Tell me all about it. Well, sir, this is the most remarkable Christmas I've ever had. You don't say. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! <laughs> fl, fl flaherty did you see it? Did you? I thought I saw something. What did you see? No, 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 you first. Mr. Dundee, I don't think I'd better tell you. You'd report me for drinking on duty. But you're not on duty. True. Go ahead. What did you see? Mr. Dundee? It was that Corwin fella playing his life in a sleigh with reindeer sitting alongside a... A, a what? One of his little helpers. So help me. All done up in proper costume. They were riding towards the sky. Big as you please. One question for you. Yeah? Did we drink a whole bottle of cherry brandy back in the station house? Vintage 1903. But only one bottle. The finest I ever tasted. So I guess that's about the size of it then, isn't it, Mr. Dundee? Flaherty, you better come on home with me. We'll make some hot coffee. Yeah. And pour a little whiskey in it. We call that Irish coffee, you know. Oh, I do know. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk some more about all this. Sort it out. What is there to say? If a man can't believe his own eyes, what can he believe? Then, we will thank God for miracles, Mr. Flaherty. That we will, Mr. Dundee. That we will. A word to the wise, to all the children of our times, whether their concern be pediatrics or geriatrics, whether they crawl on hands and knees and wear diapers, or walk with cane and comb their beards. There is a wondrous magic to Christmas, and there is a special power reserved for little people. In short, there is nothing mightier than the truly meek. And so, a Merry Christmas to each and all, and to all a good night from those of us here in the Twilight Zone. Night of the Meek, starring Chris McDonald, with Stacy Keach as your narrator, was written for the Twilight Zone by Rod Serling and adapted for radio by Dennis Etcheson. Heard in the cast were Taylor Miller, Turk Muller, Doug James, Peter DeFaria, Peggy Roter, Adam Tangway, Richard Hensel, Meg Falcon, Lucas Ellman, Zach Gray, Carl Amari, Roger Wolski, Rick Peoples, and Lauren Patton. To learn more about the Twilight Zone radio dramas and to obtain audio cassettes and CDs of these programs, visit our website at twilightzoneradio.com. The producers of the Twilight Zone wish to thank CBS Enterprises, Carol Serling, Dennis Etchison, Dick Brescia Associates,
Claire Simon Casting, Terry Jennings, Exim Satellite Radio, the American Forces Radio and Television Service, Sirius Satellite Radio, our sponsors and our radio affiliates for helping make this series possible. This copyrighted radio series is produced and directed by Carl Amari and Roger Wolski for Falcon Picture Group. Doug James speaking. Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program.